Brent Martineau. You see him every day on CBS 47, Fox 30, Action Sports Jacks. Austin Lane. He's a former Jag star and current MMA fighter. Broadcasting live from the Anna Jaron Levine studio. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Well, I've got good news, everybody. No, it has nothing to do with Yannick Ngakwe. <laughs> Instead, Austin Lane made it to the show today. Of course, man. I wouldn't miss it for the world. He didn't get attacked by cats or he cat lovers. Yeah. Uh, Might have got a couple messages from cat lovers. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't really call anything a threat, so we're good at that angle. But, yes, yeah, so I'm here on the show, and thankfully no one's lining up outside our studio right now uh, threatening for me to come outside. Today is a fun day. In the world of sports. And I think some people be like, what are you talking about? Because, and some people be Kinda like. Kind of like me. Yeah, some people be like, ah, it's really not that fun. But if you're a fan of sports, one of the best deadlines in sports is the Major League Baseball trade deadline. Mm-hmm. It's a fun one. And, uh, you know, things have changed. The parameters have changed to make this even different this year where it's the sole trade deadline and where moves can be made. And, uh that should create for excitement. What it's created for is a lot of slow development on the trade market. We have seen some moves, uh, including last night with uh, Yasiel Puig. So, uh, and there have been more today. Uh, we'll catch you up throughout the day uh, if you're really interested in it. And we also won't belabor the point. But I think it is kind of a fun day, especially if your team's in it, on the cusp of it. You know, so many teams are still alive because of the wild card. You know, Bob mm-hmm. Costas, I think, is the guy that brought that up years ago. They ended up changing. It's now been, I think, a good 20 years of the wild card. And it's really helped the sport because it keeps teams in it. I mean, look at all the division races in Major League Baseball, and they'd be long gone. Well, now this keeps in a minute. So uh, we'll talk a, a little bit about that, keep you up to date with any developments if that happens. And how about the fight last night, man? I mean, listen, you can't find a UFC fight better than that, baby. (laughs) That was absolutely off the charts insane. Because you had the Caitlin, we should probably set the scene a little bit. Uh, Reds playing the Pirates. Um, so supposedly this year the narrative for the Pirates has been that they've been taking some cheap shots. Whether it's throwing throwing at the the batters, throwing at the head. Uh, And for whatever reason, the Reds took it upon themselves to prove a point. Um, I don't know how anybody in this town could like the Pirates. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I'm not a Pirates fan by any means. I, I think Pittsburgh's a pretty cool city, but I'm not a Pirates guy. Uh, but, yeah, the the pitcher from the Reds, his name's escaping right now. Uh, uh, Garrett, right? Garrett. Garrett, yeah, thank you very much. So Garrett uh, was on the way to come out of the game, and apparently some Pirates players were jaw-jacking, as they call it, on the bench. Um, like a couple softball players really <laughs> chanting at him, and he didn't like that. And I saw for the first time, I think, in my baseball-watching career, a pitcher literally run towards the opponent's dugout and call out the entire team. Usually it's people coming after the pitcher. Yes. He went after them. I mean, that yeah. was it was a bold move, man. I mean, he took on the entire team. And then Bell, the manager, came out and took on everybody else. <laughs> well, and let's preface this. The, the, manager, included. The, the manager was thrown out of the game. He, he was already he done. He was already out yeah. when he came back in. And he came back in. I can't wait for the suspensions oh, on this one. You're getting a fine, the, and you're getting a fine. The Bell suspension probably should be big. When you're ejected from a game and you're the manager, when you're the manager, you're supposed to be trying to slow the uh, melee. Yeah. You're trying to break it up. He ignited it more. Yeah. And that thing was long. What made that one different, special, kind of fun, and I don't encourage it, kids, but I've long said, and I've been involved with two base brawls, base brawls can be awesome. And they galvanize teams. Yeah. And now you always hope nobody gets hurt. But what was different about this one 
is there were punches. I mean, there were. This was actually looked like a fight. Yeah. Baseball's guys are the biggest wusses in the world. Yeah. They all bow up. They say, "Hold me back." They're like your buddy at the bar that says, "Oh yeah, you want a piece of me? Want a piece of me?" He's hiding, and I'm hiding behind you. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, in yeah. my V-neck right here. <laughs> so, I mean, they're, they're that guys. What baseball guys are. Uh, yeah. Baseball guys in general. And by the way, I'm one of them. So all you baseball guys listening right now, just nod in agreement. Baseball guys are the most arrogant of athletes, mm. in my opinion. Yep. And we also are like pretend tough guys on a baseball field. Sure. You love to yap and you'll never throw a punch and you don't want to take one because you don't want to mess up your pretty face. Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of what it is in baseball. It's it's at all levels. Yeah. I, I got in a brawl in high school. It was like that. I actually got in a really good brawl in college. It was punches please, thrown. Please it was really me. good. Don't just tease and, us like this and, and not tell us the story. And I'm saying I got in like I got in. Like, yeah. really, I was in center field, but it was awesome. And uh, and then it happens in the minor leagues and the pros. And, again, I love you baseball guys. Nobody I love more. But that's fact. Like, yeah. Again, arrogance and, like, pretend tough guy exists in baseball mm-hmm. at all levels. And so that's why that was cool last night. In a way. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to see that, to see an actual punch be thrown and to go after somebody as a pitcher who you're usually trying to protect. And there's a lot of bad blood in these t- series. I mean, that, that, that doesn't build up in one night. There, that was kind of reminiscent of, like, Yankees-Red Sox over two years. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been brewing there with the Pirates and Reds who play in the same division. What's interesting is they're kind of two bottom feeders right now, yeah. and that's what's fascinating. Usually you get the intense and the uh, those kind of the tension builds mm-hmm. because of the playoff races, and now we get in August and a lot of that. But uh, I'll tell you, one thing about baseball guys, too, I'll add a third thing. They have good memories, and you yeah. don't ever forget, and you usually don't forgive yep. <laughs> in baseball. Well, and here's the thing. So... I didn't watch this scuffle live just because it's the Reds and the Pirates, and I'm not going to watch the two bottom teams of the NL Central go back and forth because I really don't care, going to be honest with you. But when I saw the video, everyone, you know, reposting the video and everything, it said, you know, big scuffle, Reds, Pirates. And immediately I'm thinking, like, you know, when people post these things, it's usually clickbait. Like, yeah, maybe the bench is clear, but there's just some shoving and pushing, and then the umps get in the way, and they kind of clear. But when I saw Amir Garrett, and like we said, run, literally run towards the, the Pirates dugout, take on all the challengers, and then when a guy came out, threw the first punch at him. I was like, oh, this is a, this is an actual fight here. Like, this is like a hockey fight. This isn't like a baseball, yeah, I push you, you push. No, like, there are punches being thrown with bad intentions. And we, we want to talk about Puig as well, Yasiel Puig. Listen. Yeah, who had been traded five minutes yeah, earlier. Yeah, who, who had been traded, by the way. <laughs> and, listen, I, I've been on that show a couple of times, and, um, you know, I've said I'm not the biggest Puig fan just because when he played the Brewers or the Dodgers, yeah. he was doing some showboating kind of things that, obviously, against my team, I hated. All right, I, I disliked. But... But um, I'll say this about Puig. I think his players would agree with me here, and they even said this at the press conference after. Uh, he's a great teammate. He has his teammates back because you saw Puig. The, the fight was kind of de-escalated, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, something else got said. Here comes Puig, um, you know, from, from across the field, and then he was in the mix and everything. Now, not the smartest introduction to go to the Cleveland Indians now. Probably have to sit six yeah, or seven games. Yeah, because I don't know he if he'll get fight. as big one because he didn't throw a punch or anything. Yeah. So I, I doubt he does. Uh, I wonder if you get more of a suspension because you're not no longer part of that team. Sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you're fighting as yeah. an uh, outside member. Uh, you know, here's an interesting thought on Puig for like 15 seconds. My father-in-law is a huge Reds fan. Okay. Old school guy, mm-hmm. right? So Puig, to a lot of people, drives Puig drives people nuts. Yeah, of course. Especially old school baseball guy yeah. because 
loafing, showboating. He's kind of got that reputation. Well, my father-in-law watches every Reds game. He tapes every Red game. When I saw him in the summer uh, a few weeks ago, he loves the way Puig plays. He says he plays hard all the time. Yeah, yeah you got to deal with some of that stuff. But he really like. It was really interesting. He's a great teammate. I mean, from the last, I thought if I had asked him, I thought he'd hate him. Sure. But he actually went out of his way. I think he's really probably upset. I haven't talked to him since. So I bet he's upset that he's gone to Cleveland. That's right. Because I think they liked him in yeah. Cincinnati and, and felt what you said. And that's just from an outside looking in. We don't cover Puig every day. I've never even talked to the guy. Yeah. But perception-wise, I think he comes across as that guy. Yep. And uh, it was just interesting to hear a fan that, that kind of liked uh, the way he played. Okay, so uh, enough with the teasing now. You've been in two baseball fights. Oh, yeah. Okay, I real need to hear some details. The, yeah. the best part of the both baseball fights yeah. is... Both pitchers that we were in a fight with, one in high school, okay, and one in college, played high in, school. Yeah, yeah, played in <laughs> played in Major League Baseball. Okay, for a long time. Dang. Okay. Uh, Dan Wheeler. Okay. Who was a reliever for a lot of Rays, Red Sox. He played for uh, Warwick, Rhode Island, mm-hmm. and we're in a place playoff game. And in college, it was Matt Thornton, big lefty. Okay. And uh, he played for Grand Valley State at the time, but went to play for – he's played for a lot of teams, but I think he had a long career with the White Sox, okay. hard-thrown left-hander. And so go look those guys up. They had sure. nice careers. Uh, so it was kind of ironic. The only two brawls ever got into <laughs> were with major not, – again, not me necessarily, but our teams. But you're a part of and, one. Yeah, you can say you're part of one. Well, the, the, the high school one was whatever. It's a best-out-of-three playoff series. Sure. Uh, play it. I'm on deck. Play at the plate because a guy on third passed ball or ball got away. Mm-hmm. And it was really our guy's fault, Paul Pimentel. He, he's on our team. I would tell him that. It, it was He kind of like grabbed the catcher's, the pitcher's leg, Wheeler's leg, as he came across the plate. Okay. You know, as they, they got tangled up. Yeah, and yeah, he kind of yeah. like shoved his leg aside. Yep. But Wheeler didn't like that. Sure. You know, and, and, they, and that bench is cleared. I was right there. Now, I yeah. was more the peacemaker on that. Yeah. I, I'm, well, I'm always going to be the peacemaker probably. But... So that wasn't too much. Sure. It was kind of cool, though. You're still in high school. Man. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Like, it wasn't like punches thrown. This was yeah. going to, you know, if it was video today, it'd be yeah. all over the place. It was just a little I mean, normal brush up. We're, we're, talking, we're, we're talking detentions here or something, okay? Yeah, the other Grand Valley, though, was awesome. We were at Grand Valley State. Grand and, Valley and, State of the Lakers, right? Yes. All right, yeah. And a very good yeah. Division II program. Yeah. And football, they won yeah. national titles. And, and, uh, so we, we, you play a four game series back then. So two on Saturday, two on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And you know, these games are pretty critical. Grand Valley State's good. We're pretty good. And at home, you can dress 40 guys or okay. you can put 40 guys in your dugout. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. uh, on the road, you only take 25 guys with you. So, you know, they got guys all over the dugout mm-hmm. and some of them are dressed, some are not, but they're probably like some, if you will, JV guys. Well, I've never seen this before. Okay. The, Matt Thornton. You're going to play me out of here already? Dude, it's baseball fights with Brent Martineau. Delay it. Matt Thornton. Yeah. Our guy's on deck. And yeah. on deck circle is close to home plate. It's one of those deals, kind of small bar, back uh, stop. Yeah, area. okay. I got so, you. So, well, so he's taking swings in between innings in the yeah. back on deck circle. Matt Thornton didn't like how close he was. He thought he was sizing him up. He threw, instead of a warm-up pitch to the catcher, he throws a pitch right at our that? guy. No and it hits him square in the back. And the umpire doesn't really see it because it's like in between What's, innings. Yeah, Nothing's no one's going gonna on. notice that. I mean, this guy throws in the nineties, and he threw yeah. it right at him, square in the back. So, you know, we make a, you know, coach comes out, blah blah blah. Yeah. Next inning, our guy on the mound, who actually also played minor league baseball, didn't get to the pros, made play, and now is the coach at Grand Valley State, believe it or not. Okay. Uh, Jamie Detillion. Yeah, and he does what you have to do. Yeah. First guy up. Now, the first guy up happens to be the quarterback, this big stocky kid of the football team. He's a dual sport guy. Of course. 
boom, throws it right in his ribs, which is where you should throw it. Yeah, and I could throw it in his head. Just put him in the ribs. Game on, man. I'm out in the outfield. Everybody, they, the the guy that he hit in the on deck circle is playing left field, so yeah. he's kind of I'm in center, he's in left, and we have this tall skinny kid at first base, mm-hmm. right? And now you've got to realize I'm watching all this unravel in front of my, from center field as sure. everything's they, he charges the mound. Yep. They're in the third base dugout and they have 40 guys. Some not dressed. You guys are outnumbered right now. They are jumping over the fence and running out on the field, all of them. And the guy comes, and as some, I'm watching this one guy come run across the field, and he must have said, if there's a fight, I'm going after that first baseman, because he winds up from about three yards out, and he is about to knock this guy into tomorrow. Yeah. And our first baseman just slipped right under it. Like, still to this day, he would be dead. Like, I mean, he, it would have been, it would have been a, a UFC punch. Just crow hopping oh from, my from center field to knockout. I, I, I can still out. see yeah. it to this day as I'm running in very slowly. I'm not running in to get there in a hurry, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but I'm watching, and I, I still can't believe he missed it. Yeah. But long story short, and it's already probably been long, but our left fielder kind of runs in. And for some reason, they, Mark Van Dyne, his name, they had a problem with him. He was the one that got pegged in the back. And they had five guys just boom, boom, boom on top of them. Just outnumbered. And so I'm just trying to rip guys off of him. Yeah. Never threw a punch or anything. I'm not going to be macho guy and say, yeah, no, you're, you're good. But the great part of the story is that mm-hmm. was the first game of the Sunday doubleheader. Sure. Where there's a rule. If you leave the bench, you're ejected. Okay. And so if you're ejected, you have to sit the next game. So this is in the oh. middle innings of the first game. Yeah. They all get ejected. Somebody had an advantage and they now. All, no. Or they, you didn't they have, have an to advantage. forfeit the game. Oh, they, forfeit. they have to forfeit the first game, and they have to forfeit the second game. <laughs> game over. <laughs> so you guys and, won and over and the like, fight. We won, in two, we won two games yeah. on that Sunday, and I don't even know where the standings were and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So we're in vans leading the, an hour after, right? We're leaving. Now, we should still be playing baseball. Yeah. We're leaving the, the school grounds. Yeah. There were literally people throwing rocks at our vans. Sure. Everything had gotten so heightened, man. It was crazy. Over some dude just standing a little too close in the, in the batters or in wild. the batting circle. Now, that was, my, again, I try my best to describe it. But when you live one of those things, oh, it's yeah. like th- there's a... Uh, just like it galvanizes people. It's unbelievable. Like yeah. last night, and you could see it in the postgame, Pirates and especially the Reds were galvanized by all that. Mm-hmm. Like they love the fact their pitcher went over there. That's protecting their guys. Yep. You know, that means a lot in the locker room. Now, again, it's not encouraged, but it means a lot that you're protecting your guys. There's some unwritten rules you got to abide by. And so, uh, yeah, that's I, – I, I always – I hope kids aren't listening sometimes, but it happens. It's like, but brawls can be not only like in a weird way fun, mm-hmm. but also beneficial to your oh, team they, they in the course of a long year. Without a really doubt. Weird. That doesn't mean go start one, people. No. But sometimes they happen. Yep. And uh, it'll be what, it'll be really interesting. The suspensions are going to be big in this. Yeah. I wish I had a better story to tell you, like I knocked somebody Dude, out. that was a good story, man. Was, you guys won a baseball fun. game because we the team quit the match. We won the double dip. And then you're getting rocks thrown at you in the van. I'll take it. Take that, Natillion in Grand Valley State. I'll take it. All right, we're going to talk some NFL. Hey, Nick Foles, at least on one drive today, looked awesome. Okay. And Coach Flip talks about the offense. I thought he had some cool things to say. Yannick Ngakwe situation. All right, Michael Thomas, did he help or hurt Yannick Ngakwe's situation? All right, Coos, thanks for holding off on the music. It was worth it. Now we can take a break. No cat stories coming up. (laughs) Hang with us. And if you want to be a part of the conversation, Star Star 690 on ESPN 690. All right, story time's over. You got any stories to tell? 
About what? I don't know. I mean, I, I got tons cats. of fighting ones, obviously, but um, no, I just think best it's a bar fight. Best bar fight? I don't know if I can talk about the bar fights, Brent. You ever but, knock anybody out in a bar? No. But I've no, I have I, I personally never knocked anybody out in a bar. But I've seen my fair share of knockouts. In the bar. <laughs> no, truth be told, like if, if I'm out in public. Um, usually I'm the guy that sticks out, so I tend to kind of lean away from all the uh, all the fighting and stuff like that. But now, not to say some of my friends haven't been involved in some altercations when I've been out with them. But, yeah, you know. Well, see, it goes two ways, right? It's like your friends, like, hey, I'm with the big guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go. I, I got at least I got somebody against my back. Exactly. But for you personally, like, I my best friend was huge like, growing up. Yeah. And so it's like, well, they were never gonna mess with him. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so they're probably not gonna. Now you might get that guy that thinks he's goes to the gym yeah. 50 times a day yep. and and wants to say, I knocked out Austin Lane. But I, I will share a funny story quick revolving a knockout in football. You remember LeGarrette Blount from yeah. Uh, yeah. Oregon? You remember yeah. what he was famous for his senior year of college? Uh, I should. So he knocked out a kid from Boise State. Remember when Oregon played Boise State? Okay, it was yeah. like the first game of the season, and Boise State upset him. And uh, for whatever reason, some kid said something to Blount, and... Blount basically just cold cocked the kid, knocked him out. So he was on our senior bowl team. So like you know, everyone was kind of like, dude, like what is you know Blount gonna be like? Like should we you know talk to him about it? And uh, I'll never forget Sean Witherspoon, who was a linebacker for the Falcons' first round pick out of Mizzou. Um, he was the guy that gave me my first hit when I played against Murray State and Mizzou. Uh, he was on the kickoff or he's a kick return team. Decleated me, and when I walked in the meeting for the first day of senior bowl, he's like, hey Lane, I knocked you on your you know what basically <laughs> like in the middle. Of everybody so uh you know he's kind of a kind of a, like a loud guy but i'll never forget man like we're sitting in meetings and, and blount comes in and all of a sudden sean witherspoon gets up and goes there goes the hitman right there that's the hitman and so we all so literally the entire north team started calling blunt hitman and uh he didn't seem to care about it man he was all about it yeah and and truth be told uh i'm not really sure what that kid from boise state said but I talked to a guy, and I, you know, for love me, I can't remember his name. He was a he was a corner from Boise State, first round draft pick by the Jets, um, 2010. I can look up his name when we're done. Might have been a Wilson, but basically he, he talked about. Uh, I asked him like, so what actually happened when Blount knocked that kid out? And he's like, just believe me, man, that kid had it coming. So oh, really? yeah, so it is what it is. Uh, yeah. Okay, well you you know what? A lot I'm of gonna times, find out that name. A lot of times that is the case. Yeah. Uh, all right. Hey, uh, Jaguars talk and coming up at the top of the hour, we are scheduled. I always say scheduled uh, to be joined by Maurice Jones Drew, who is really the last person or player mm-hmm. I can remember here in Jacksonville going through anything like this that Yannick Ngakwe is going through. I wanted the player side, maybe a little behind the scenes look at what happened with Maurice. And now, listen, those are two different situations, really two different situations. But Maurice Jones Drew. Uh, top five in the top 25. Yeah. Uh, he was number four on the Jags list uh, in the 25th season, the all 25 Jaguars.com is doing. And uh, I always love catching up with Mojo, but I really want to ask him about this Yannick Ngakwe situation from a player's perspective. That's uh, scheduled to happen around 4 o'clock. Let's talk Jags a little bit. You weren't out there today. I, I did stop out there today. Really, 
you know, we can go up and down on all these different guys. D.D. Westbrook was not there. Apparently, he really took offense to Doug Marone talking about speed. <laughs> He's going to hold on now <laughs> until Doug Marone changes his tone a little bit. I'm kidding, by the way. No, yeah. he would miss for personal reasons. Brandon Linder was uh, held out of practice. So, so normal this question stuff quick. Were they in full pads or yes. shows? Full, full pads. pads today. Okay, full gotcha. pads today, yeah. I don't know. Yep. Uh, so nothing easy today. Yes, yes. Uh, now, and I thought Nick Foles, uh, there was a drive. Really, it's kind of this one drive. And there were some not-so-great throws by Foles today. Uh, there was one. One where Foles um, threw it kind of behind Keelan Cole, and I thought Cole should have had it, sure. but it still wasn't a good throw and, and not a good job corralling the play. Uh, Leonard Fournette uh, fumbled down near the goal line on a toss sweep. Yep. Uh, so there were some. There wasn't. It wasn't. Listen, all crisp. Oh my gosh, this offense is unbelievable. Wait until you see it. But there was this two minute drive for Foles where I thought it was pretty cool because he threw a beauty to Chris Conley. Just perfect ball. Uh, toward the sideline. Then he hits Leonard Fournette out of the backfield. Then he throws it to O'Shaughnessy on the sideline, right in stride, right on the numbers. Then hits Fournette again. And then I think it was a fourth down play where he then hit Keelan Cole okay. uh, to complete it on fourth down. And it, it was just crisp, man. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's it's where Foles has made his money, too, you know, given in that situation. Yeah. It's where this franchise has struggled a lot in the playmaking times in a two-minute situation, a four-minute situation in the fourth quarter. Within the score, can you go make the play? And every quarter back has it and sometimes they fall into it but more often than not this team has struggled this franchise has struggled over the last 10 12 15 years with that situation well Foles has been brilliant at that situation the last couple years in some Mm -hmm. of the most pressure situations so it was fun to watch him in there and they do that like every practice so I'm kind of just picking out this one where it went well uh but I I thought it was fun to watch of the everybody latches on to different things in camp Everybody watches different things. Some people love the one-on-ones, and I, I do like those too. But I just thought that was a moment where I was like, hey, that's why they got that guy. He spread it out. He yeah. put it right on the money, precision, and it was a practice play. It was a practice period. But I still think it's something that you hope translates down the road and why they spent $88 million on his now franchise quarterback. I'll tell you what I've been impressed with, um, the times that I've been there. You know, I wasn't there today, but I assume – it can go for today as well. And you got to keep in mind, when you're starting out training camp, usually it's the defense that has an advantage, right? Because on the defense, you have a couple of things you install every single day, but for the most part, you're just trying to fly around and make plays. With the offense, you know, you're trying to inst- install all this stuff, all these new plays, all this new terminology, maybe some things you uh, installed in, in spring, but still, there's some new things going in. And it's all about the timing. You know, once you put the pads on, the timing's different than if you don't have the pads on like you were in spring. So the defense usually has an advantage. And I think I think the past couple of days you've seen, whether it's turnovers, um, interceptions, fumbles, whatever it is, the defense has had the advantage. But what I've been impressed with um, on the offense is, is the pre-snap. And by the pre-snap, I mean all the motions that you've been seeing, whether it's with two tight ends going in motion, whether it's receivers coming down the line going in motion. But what you can tell is that a, a very solid Jaguars defense has been confused a couple times. And then they've been out of position because they don't know how to call it. Because you got a receiver going one way, then a tight end goes another way. And not to say we didn't see that last year a lot uh, with, with, with would have been Hackett's offense, but I think with John D. Filippo, you're seeing a lot more gadgets and you're seeing a lot more confusion pre-snap, but I think it's going to be huge going forward. Well, I will say, I, I don't think we saw enough of that last year. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember, and I am not an offensive whiz, and I'm mm-hmm. not an X's and O guy when it comes to the offense, or, really, or defense for that matter. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I don't pretend to be. But I remember countless times, especially the second half of last year, saying two things. One, get the ball to D.D. Westbrook because he's the only guy that can make a play on your football team. And two, 
can we put somebody in motion and do some of these things sure. that look like you're trying to do something else other than just line up? Mm-hmm. And so from that standpoint, I like hearing that. I like seeing mm-hmm. that, what we're seeing out there. I think Filippo does offer more of that stuff. And whether you call it creativity or you call it disguise or whatever you want to call it, just it looks like something different. It's, it's what yeah. the Rams have done and excelled at. It's mm-hmm. the reason they went to the Super Bowl last year because their offense is is intricate with some of those things. And based on timing with a lot of those things and well rehearsed, but when it works, it's tough to stop. Yes. And so I just feel like when this offense, again, we are describing offensively the last decade around here, it's not been good. Mm-hmm. So I like the idea that some of these things are a little bit different. Uh, I like what you said about going against his defense. We'll hear from Coach uh, Filippo a little bit later. And I asked him about, is, it seems silly to say, is it important to get wins on a daily basis? But everybody compliments his defense. So mm-hmm. for his offense, is it important to get wins? And I thought he had a nice reaction to that about the importance level of doing that day in, day out. You're not going to win every day. There's days you go out there, the offense wins. There's days you go out there, defense wins. But trying to get some of that confidence. Uh, and to your point in terms of lining up, he did comment and say, listen, the guys are getting the offense pretty well. Mm-hmm. So they are. He's pretty happy with where they are in terms of pre-snap and all those things. So a lot of good signs. Yeah. Don't overhype it. Don't get crazy. You're not getting that from me. You won't. I've been around here too long, and I've seen too many good things in August not lead to good things in September and the rest of the year. But I just thought today was a good day, and I think overall the offense has had some moments in this camp early on. We'll see what they can do against Baltimore next week when they practice and then play against them. Let's bring South Beach Gary into the fold before we take a break uh, real quick. What's up, man? Let's make the song of the day in the air tonight by Phil Collins. I, I know like that song. That was a song in college, right, Austin? Uh, it was one of them, man. That was, uh, truth be told, that was one of the pregame songs the team used to listen to. Right. Is, the story, sure true, guys, is the story true about that? Where, where it's he, about he witnessed a guy. Yeah. yeah. And, and then he, and he brought so. the guy to a concert. Or is that mythology? I think that's mythology. It's mythology. Yeah. I heard okay. Phil Collins talking about it. It's just, 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 okay. it was just. It, it really uh, sounded good. It would have been like no, a great movie. Great, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it would have been a, would have been a great story. But uh, Brent Austin, I thought for sure you guys were going to open with the uh, four hundred fifty million dollar development that's going on for Lot J. Going to be so paramount if the uh, Jacksonville hopes to bring either a Super Bowl return to Jacksonville or an NFL draft in the future. That is so. So critical. South Beach, Gary, I hope you have a good rest of your day, and you're good at this Segway stuff. It's coming up in the next segment here on ESPN 690. We'll be joined by a guest that has some good information about that. South Beach. Uh, South Beach, Gary, uh, that's what we're talking about next. Big news in the development phase. I have been a huge fan of this conversation. I don't think we talk about it enough on sports radio, to be honest with you, because it does have to do with sports. It has to do with the health of the Jaguars health of downtown, the health of this city, all these things. I think it impacts everybody and where this city is going. And there's a big development in that situation today. Stephanie Brown from WOKV 104.5 is going to join us. She has more details, and we'll talk more about it. Get your thoughts about it. Always on the social media platform, Star Star 690 as well. Maurice Jones-Drew coming up at 4 o'clock. My conversation with Keelan Cole a little bit later. And we'll hear from John Filippo, the Jaguars offensive coordinator, on the way. Oh, and we will talk a little bit more about Yannick Ngakwe. It's on the way on ESPN 690. I mean, holy cow. Fred Taylor just went off on Twitter about being the number two guy on the list on the Jags All-25. We're yeah. going to get to that in a moment. I'll read it for you. I had to double check. I was like, was this really Fred? Yeah. Did he really do this? And 
While sure it can be debated, I'm just shocked at the reaction. This is surprising. Coos, get that music ready because we're taking a deep dive into this one. Twitter sparks music. Uh, we'll have that in a moment. I'll get to that, and, and I just saw it uh, a few minutes ago. Uh, he just tweeted within the last, uh, you know, 15 minutes, I think. So we'll get to the Fred Taylor comments. And by the way, it'll be interesting. Uh, again, Maurice Jones Drew scheduled to join us at the top of the hour, and it's good buddies with Fred. Uh, we'll see if he has anything to How say convenient. about it. <laughs> maybe, maybe Mojo will blast the organization for having him fourth. There we go. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll talk about it. Uh, my overall thought, and I tweeted this earlier today. It is pretty incredible that two of the top four guys in the history of the organization, as voted on by a panel, and I think many fans don't disagree with this, are running backs. Yeah, it's, a, it's how fortunate this franchise was for more than a decade, really, 12-plus years, I think it is, to uh, have Freddie T and MJD in the backfield. Um, and there's a lot of love there, at least from the fans. I'm not sure right now there's a lot of love from Fred Taylor. Uh, we'll talk more about it in a minute. Right now, Stephanie Brown from uh, WOKV on the FM side, 104.5, joins us because there's some big news out of downtown just a little bit ago and i know you've been following this story every time we do a state of the franchise with the jaguars this is story number one i think uh the development of downtown it 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 fascinates me i think it's so important to the city i've said to people i've said on air i think the next five to eight years will decide if jacksonville wants to be birmingham or if they want to be charlotte uh, and somewhere in that in between. Uh, and so I think this news is big news today. Tell us about it. And so you look back at a few years and this really has been coming. You're looking at the next five to eight. I'm looking at the last five to eight. So shortly after Shad Khan took over ownership of this team, he came out and said, I want to redevelop the shipyards. And Brent, as you mentioned, the reason he wants to do that is a vibrant downtown, a vibrant sports complex, according to Khan, is something that the team needs to stay viable and sustainable financially. So the shipyard have really kind of started and stopped and long running and stalled out. But what we have now is one part of that, Lot J. There is a $450 million development of Lot J that has now been agreed to between the Jaguars, the city of Jacksonville, some development partners. I do want to throw in the quick asterisk that it's not a done deal yet. We do still need the approval of the city council and an advisory board, but this is nonetheless a huge step forward because we have seen these talks going on for, I want to say, close to two years now is when this first came out at the state of the franchise. So actually having an agreement in kind is a huge deal. And I think Stephanie Brown with us from WOKV 104.5 talking about this Lot J development, $450, uh, $450, that would be cheap. That'd be a great deal. I would have hey, ponied up for that. Yeah, yeah. $450 million. on that one. <laughs> I think even Yannick Ngakwe would have thrown in for that. Yeah, Without yeah. a contract, uh, $450 million uh, potential deal. Uh, to develop Lot J and then expand. We'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, I don't think they would have pushed this out here to this degree at this time if they didn't really feel confident that this uh, would be signed, sealed, and delivered soon. In fact, we've heard a lot from Mark Lamping and the mayor that as soon as January, probably after the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl is played, there will be a shovel in the ground over there at Lot J and them get going. So do you have any more detail uh, about when that stuff could start taking place? Well, there have been a lot of moving parts that have gotten us to this point and perhaps why it's taken so long. For example, they want those Heartbridge ramps to yes, come down. Yes. Um, and so we have that done and about to be delivered. And so that was really one of the big preconditions before they wanted to move forward with that Lot J deal. So, you know, we say it's taken about two years to get to this point, but there were reasons for that. 
there will be scrutiny, though, with the shipyards. For an example, we saw a term sheet go in front of the Downtown Investment Authority, which is one of the agencies that has to sign on here. And ultimately, those negotiations have been going on for even longer than the Lot J negotiations have. So it's a little difficult to tell what exactly the pacing of the Downtown Investment Authority will be. It'll be likely at least a month or more because they'll uh, the standard process is to see if anybody else is interested potentially in, in soliciting and developing that site. Although I do believe under the lease agreement, the Jags do have some priority there. So, you know, at least six weeks once it finally gets to the city council. But then, of course, this is all the approval shovel in the ground. It, it will take some time to get there. But the Jags, of course, do want to move fast. Yeah, we know this. We know Shotcon does not like to stand still on all these things. I mean, he said that, and he's proven it, really. I mean, look at everything that's gone into that stadium and the practice facility and uh, the flex field and Daly's place. And, you know, you run into red tape when you're dealing with politics and, and downtown building. But there's no way he wanted to stay still. And that's why he initially went away from the shipyards to go to Lot J. They came up with kind of a plan B. Well, and that's why we have Daly's Place. Because if you go to his first shipyards plan, an amphitheater was part of that on the other side of Bay Street. But because that was taking so long to do and stalled out, Khan said, I'm going to take that element and bring it out. Put it on the other side of the street where we have more control. It's a smaller project, so it's easier to kind of wrap your head around and ultimately get the city to buy into. And ultimately, they were able to bring this forward. So Lache is not dissimilar. You see the hotel, residential, office space, and a live arena, and entertainment venue. That's all things that have been at some point talked about in the shipyard's development. So this is, again, kind of trying to take a smaller chunk of that. Remember, they want an estimated $2.5 billion redevelopment of the sports complex. So in that context, $450 million, well, not a small sum, yeah. is much easier for people to try to stomach than that bigger vision that they're still now chipping away on. Stephanie Brown from uh, 104.5 WOKV. She's uh, way smarter at all this stuff than uh, I am, just a dumb sports guy, but I'm just as much intrigued by it. I, I think it's an important part of everything in this city. I really believe it uh, for downtown. I, I agree with a lot of the things that are said about having the vibrant downtown. We see it. We go to all these places. We just went to the draft in Nashville. We're going to Las Vegas. We're go- we see the competition. Atlanta New Stadium. Orlando, what they're trying to do. There's competition everywhere, and uh, the Jags have to keep up if they're going to be able to bring some things in from a destination standpoint. Mark Lamping saying earlier today, we've never been closer to realizing a new downtown Jacksonville than we are today. While today's news is not the final step, it's by far the most significant step in our mission to reinvent how we work, live, and gather in downtown Jacksonville. He went on to say other things. Uh, What strikes you from what this could include? I'm going to read your tweet just to remind you what you tweeted because I know there's a lot going on and you've been working on this story. Uh, You said... Mayor says Lot J deal reached to include new entertainment venue, hotel, residential building, and office building opportunity. Of those kind of structures of what may live in Lot J uh, when this thing's all said and done, what do you think is the most important aspect of that that we need to kind of 
pay attention to and dominoes would fall? Well, it really depends on who you ask. Um, you know, for the Jags, this isn't a we can do one part or the other. That's not the impression. This is an all or nothing kind of proposal um, is definitely the impression that I've gotten. So if you're talking about getting people excited, they want the idea of that entertainment venue, another place where you can have, you know, events, concerts, things like that. That's what's easy to get people excited about. But when you look at that financial impact, uh, the opportunity to have people living there or working in that immediate area is more of that direct economic impact that they're looking for in order to support where they want the sports complex to ultimately grow in the future. And I do want to add as well, there will be parking. Obviously, this is a parking lot that's being built on. (laughs) Uh, They are talking about um, adding parking basically where you see that pond, I believe, is going to be filled in. There would Hmm. be some kind of a land and garage integration of some variety. So, you know, that concern is something they knew had to be addressed and they're including in these plans as well. That's likely where we'll see a lot of the city funding go in as well um, because it is kind of that structure that doesn't just get used for a game day as an example. Um, But that is also the big question we're waiting to see is exactly how much the city will be proposed to put into this plan. Yeah, and I think you brought up, I was going to ask you, I was going to go there with the parking because I think that is one of the... um uh, contention points of how much to ask for from taxpayers, uh, w- how much is that going to cost for a parking garage? But you're ripping up a parking lot, and I think you said it perfectly. Everything I've heard is right over that pond that exists right there now, and who's going to pay for it, uh, really? So that seems like maybe the next step, right, is how does this get introduced to taxpayers and votes on that and how much – I guess, support can they get from people in in Duval County? Exactly. So the mayor came out with a video. That's how this was announced to everyone at the same time, public and media alike. So that's why we still have so many unanswered questions, because I don't have the development deal yet. The lawmakers don't have that development deal yet. So we will eventually get a lot of those details. Um, You know, generally speaking, it's a city council that tends to be in the mayor's corner. They've been in line, it seems like. right? And it's hard for anybody to look at the rent that have been released and see, you know, these grand buildings and the spotlights and, you know, not get excited about that potential. I think a lot is ultimately going to come down to the financing that is proposed, because when you have a tax rebate, maybe something down the road, as opposed to a multi-million dollar grant within the next year, you know, that's where you start to see those roadblocks pop up. All right. One last one for you. JEA said they're not going in there, right? And now there's more stuff about JEA, I think, unrelated. But uh, do you think the next one of the next shoes that drop is they fill that area up with office space and they make an announcement? Was there anything tied to that today? Not today. Um, They have talked in the past about, you know, entertaining different offers. I believe at the last state of the franchise, Shad Khan said they were actually pretty close with somebody who might be interested in that. So I know there's already a hotel vendor, I believe, lined up as well. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a business that's getting ready to lock in there. So, you know, as you mentioned, you're not going to put forward a plan without having some good footing. So having some anchor tenants in those important pieces is only going to bolster your case. Yeah, You can talk politics all you want when it comes to this stuff. I don't mm-hmm. talk politics. I don't really know. I don't even know who's aligned politically for the most part. I just don't pay attention to the game. I pay attention to sports yeah. and try to stay out of it. But I, I'm bullish on the whole thing because I think it's important uh, for the city, for people around here in Northeast Florida. Again, I said at the start of the segment, are you going to be Birmingham or are you going to be Charlotte? 
or Nashville or one yeah. of those places. And, and no knock on Birmingham, by the way, but, I mean, there's a distinct difference. Mm-hmm. And Jacksonville right now sits in the middle to me, and it's growing and all these things, but you got to get downtown right. Of so uh, it's it's a fascinating project to me. Are you bullish on the idea that, say, well, this gets done in three to five years, right, and, and we see a lot, Jay, that they end up going across the street and, and building a walkover way and, and all the things that – that people have had visions of and dreams. I mean, could this be the next 10, 15 years we're talking about this stuff? So it's absolutely what Shad Khan wants to happen. He does have that $2.5 billion vision, and that includes the broader sports complex, the shipyard site across the street. So it is something that he wants to see. It's also something he wanted to see five years ago <laughs> yeah, uh, when that first shipyard's vision came out. So I think the approach that he's taking is absolutely the best one, wherein he started to break it down instead of just going all in. Um, but it is something that, you know, you, it's hard to say if it's 10 or 15 years, because I'm sure many of your listeners also know. His is not the first time that the shipyards has tried to be redeveloped. There have been people even before that. So I think there's more momentum than there ever has been. Um, but we'll have to see ultimately if they can bring that bigger vision over the finish line. Yeah, and there have been visions, but nobody's ever had the pockets like ShotCon to help at least make it work. Yeah. And uh, that to me is what's a little bit different this time. Stephanie Brown, 104.5 WOKV. Thanks for stopping in. Yeah, awesome absolutely. Stuff. So I wasn't very talkative, man. I was just taking notes like this is interesting. So Listen, I know I know. can be engaging, right? Oh, no, yeah. you're, you're good. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Well, I, I know it's not strictly sports, but again, I think it well, really it relates to our, the Jags. It involves the downtown, yeah. Brent. And you know, and when I tell people that come to visit me, like, where should we go? I mean, I'll be honest, downtown's not the top list of places to visit. It's Jacksonville Beach, it's other places. Town center. So, town center, right? yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the epicenter, those yeah. kind of places and there yeah. are a lot of places to go uh i think good news overall for the for downtown um and i know there will be rivals of it and all this stuff again i don't play the political game here i have no idea who stands where i just think it's a good thing overall mm-hmm. get it done i saw it happen in my hometown of providence man it was starting to go bad yep. they ramped it up the guy went to prison for it but it still was beneficial <laughs> <laughs> sorry mayor you do what you gotta do that's what i mean if it's good for the future i'm doing right yeah <laughs> try to follow the rules people try to yeah. follow the rules more on that conversation by the way tonight on cbs 47 and fox 30 as well we'll get back to the sports talk coming up the latest on yannick and gakwe and marish jones drew visits in a moment on espn 690 all right so we're we doing man? Out right we doing now right? <laughs> i have to always tweet in between i'm trying to get it so, I, so I, here's what i'm tweeting i thought about something else on the yannick front plus why is freddie t so mad yeah Brett Martino, Austin Lane, Action Sports Chats, Marcel Robinson sporting the cool lid yesterday and today. Looking good, man. Coos is here as well. We've got a couple minutes for the top of the hour. We're going to be joined by uh, Maurice Jones, at least that's scheduled. I, I hate to uh, guarantee it because you never know with Mojo's schedule, but uh, that's the plan. Uh, Yannick Front, I want to play something else out that I didn't realize on this. I, I'm learning more, more about contract stuff as this week goes along. And... You know, I still don't know some details. Like, I haven't been able to get some man- straight answers on some things. Like, do you get fined for a day off, a scheduled day off? Mm-hmm. Do you get fined for the report day? Still don't really know where the fine thing is. Uh, but this is day eight of the Yannick Ngakwe holdout. And I'm get, uh, learning a little bit more. As we get closer to this deadline, which is, we think is August 6th for the restricted or unrestricted, that's the next piece of the puzzle. Are you willing to risk unrestricted free agency and not show up by August 6th? That's that's just the next step. What does that mean? Are you willing to do it? Most people on the outside, at least that I can talk to, are saying you can't risk that. 
That, that unrestricted free agency is important to accrue that year during free agency. Some say, well, you can still take the gamble. Well, part of the gamble, I think, is on the if you're playing for $2 million and you don't show up t- until Labor Day and you miss the accrued year and now you're a restricted free agent at the end of the season, you played for $2 bucks to finish out this contract. What we have been saying is what that means is you the team can now um, give you a tender, a first-round tender, mm-hmm. which is what he would become, which essentially means next year another team can make a bid to get Yannick Ngakwe. Someone with a lot of money makes a play at him. The Jags have the right to match right. that. Yep. And on top of that, that team has to give up a first-round pick. So it's very – I mean, are you going to part? Would the Jags have gone to get Calais Campbell as well as that had worked out, but given up a first-round pick as well? N- not here. No one's going to do that. Well, I, I mean, that's a debate. Uh, I, I've I don't heard both so. sides. I, was, okay. I, I mean, I would tend to agree with you. Yeah. Then there's others that say, I can make uh, – You know, we, I can see that happening. Yeah, I, for a pass I guess it depends where your first round picks at. I mean, if it's like well, that's true too. You know? But that eliminates probably half the teams because nobody's oh. giving up a top ten pick. Yeah, right? exactly. Right? Nobody's giving up a top fifteen pick. Maybe yeah. a twenty eighth overall pick. Yeah. The Patriots might I was have. Say, right? You see the Patriots pulling some <laughs> kind of crap like that. Um, so, but again, I'm just trying to illustrate this the best I understand it, and because this stuff gets confusing in my opinion. But uh, but I did not realize in discussing this a little bit more is I thought the franchise, say the Jags franchise tag, that doesn't come true. Nobody gives them a first-round pick, so the Jags have them under control as a franchise tag, 18 million bucks probably next year or 19 million bucks next year, whatever it is. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Under tender situations, you actually get, like I think the number is like $4.5 million for a first-round tender. So if nobody drives the price tag up and the Jags have to match, if that's not the case... Well, now it's really like a four and a half million dollar contract from everything I can understand mm-hmm. instead of slapping the franchise tag, which I thought it was just an automatic slap the franchise tag on. So does that mean Yannick Ngakwe, if he doesn't get a deal done in the next year, year and a half, or if a team doesn't come in and say, I'm going to give you this in a first round pick, that means he's playing for like six million bucks over the next two years. Is the way I understand it. I know it's a lot of math. Yeah. But if you talk this thing out and it's like, whoa. So that deadline now becomes, I think, even more important. Yeah. And we kind of felt that way. Yeah. But you want to be an unrestricted free agent is my point in this. So then you get franchise tagged. So this is a huge debt. What's the moral of this part of the story is that August 6th deadline is a big deadline. Right. I don't think you can flirt with that deadline. It doesn't. I don't. I don't believe. Listen, six million dollars is still a lot of money. But or you take a gamble that somebody comes and gives you a big thing in a first a big contract in a first round pick but i think this is a huge deadline coming up is is what i'm trying to say no fair enough and that's now what are we at what's today july 31st yep so we're a week away so by next uh, tuesday that's a big decision to be made yeah by yannick ngakwe well he he actually tweeted out something today too did you see what he tweeted oh don't do it because we need music (laughs) when he tweets okay stay tuned we'll see what he tweeted why is Fred Taylor so mad? Upset. Very upset. Fully triggered. <laughs> and Maurice Jones-Drew on ESPN 690. He was the latest Jags player, or the last Jags player, to go through a holdout situation that I can remember. He goes behind the scenes on that next on ESPN 690. Hey, welcome back. We got a lot going on around here. Yannick Ngakwe's situation. Jaguars continuing training camp. Fred Taylor. Oh, my. The recent comments and uh, 
Well, our buddy Maurice Jones-Drew is going to join us from the West Coast as well. Brett Martineau, former Jag Austin Lane, Marcel Robinson hanging around. Coos is here, too. Four o'clock on a Wednesday. Hope you're having a good day. And uh, let's get right into it with Maurice Jones-Drew. What's happening, man? Thanks for joining us. Uh, no problem, Brent. What, what did Fred say? What, what happened? I'm trying to. I, I'm, I'm. I've been lost. I've been doing a bunch of work. All right. Here's the deal. Okay. This just came down, by the way, in the last like half hour. But you know, you just congratulations. First of all, you were in the All 25, voted uh, the fourth best player in Jags history, which I think is an incredible honor. I think you're rightly deserved. Uh, I'm sure in your own mind you say, hey, I could have probably moved up a couple spots because that's the way everybody thinks, and and that's a fair thought. Uh, You know, maybe three, maybe two, maybe one. I don't know how you feel about it, but I think four is a good spot for you and a fair spot for you um, if you voted amongst the fans. Uh, What was your reaction to that? Well, uh, anytime you're you're ranked in an organization and um, you you get the opportunity to you know be amongst some of those greats like the guy that I played with, Fred Taylor or Mark Brunel or Jimmy Smith, and you know seeing some of my buddies in there that have been on it. I mean that that was that's amazing. Obviously, as a competitor, everyone wants to be number one. I I, I don't think there's one person on there, even Rasheen, uh, and I saw what he said. Rasheen still thinks he's the best player in franchise history. That's why we loved each other because we competed at a high level, and so you always want to get that recognition to be number one. But to be up there for me, it's awesome. I mean, again, my wife loved it. My son loved it. Um, you know, a lot of people that I work with were happy and, and saying congratulations. And I appreciate that because it does mean a lot to me uh, that a lot of the hard work that we put in is being recognized um, for some, you know, obviously being a part of a great franchise. And by the way, I think this is a fun thing. I don't really think it, it should be, hey, uh, my goodness, I can't believe uh, this guy wasn't here or this guy wasn't there. Um, I don't think it's a personal thing for anybody. But at the same time, I do think we should shout out to Maurice Jones-Drew because if you look at the context of where he ranks in that list, you know, the Jags' first five, six years were phenomenal here in Jacksonville. Well, Maurice played in an era where it wasn't as good. So to be listed number four, Mojo, I think says a lot about how people respected your game and the way you played and what you did in Jacksonville. Because if you look at the guys around you in that top seven, they're all from the mid to late 90s. Well, no, no, and I appreciate that. I wish that they had you speak about me, but it was good to see Dick (laughs) Hedgman talk about me. It was good to see some of the other guys talk. But, you know, we didn't have the best. We we always didn't see eye to eye in those uh, locker room meetings, but – I appreciate that. You know, it means a lot. Even Mark Long had something positive to say. But today, so hey, by the way, those are, um, Mark, you're second on his list, and Mercedes Lewis is number one. <laughs> there, there you go. So I appreciate, like, I appreciate uh, that. But again, you know, it's it's at it, least said it best. It's all in fun. It's something to hang your hat on. Um, for me, it's it, it's important that you know my kids get to see that because you know there's times where, and you know this brand because we talk a lot. I, I didn't see my kids a lot during football, um, during the offseason, because I was going away to train. So it just shows them that, you know, you work hard for certain things, and, and I'm, I'm just happy my boys and my daughter gets to see that a lot. Oh, by the way, you'll be in the pride of the Jaguars someday. You should be. I don't know when that day is coming. I hope it comes soon. I, I think there are other guys that have earned it and deserve it, too. Uh, you know, and I think some are debatable, whether it's uh, Brad Meester or Keenan McCardell. I mean, we can talk and debate about that. I don't really like to debate about that that much, but it should happen and will happen for Maurice Jones-Drew. Uh, you don't even have to comment about that, man. Uh, that will happen at some point down the road. I'm going to read you Fred Taylor. So he was voted number two uh, on the list. 
uh, which makes Tony Baselli will be the number one player. And you know how much Big Bo's uh, beloved uh, here in Jacksonville is the first pick, and he could be going to Canton this year in the 25th season yeah. of the team. But Fred just put this out on Twitter when he heard the news about this, and I'm going to read it to you. And it, it surprises me. I want your reaction. I'm not sure who voted, but they missed. What were you guys doing for the 11 years in capital letters? I carried the team. One day, someone, quote, uh, in parentheses, other than me, will recognize how valuable I was. I did something only 21 players in the history of the game done at my position. Hashtag what a joke. Yeah, you know what? And and, and I'm, I'm definitely one of those players. Um I was there. Like, I saw what Fred was able to do, and I, I'm a big-time Fred Taylor supporter. You know that. Yeah. Um, and too. we texted last night. We, we texted last night about it. Let, let's, let's be transparent. I feel like Fred is the best player uh, in our franchise. Um, I understand why Tony Baselli would be number one, though, as well. You were the first draft pick. You know, all pros, Pro Bowls. You had a shorter season, but, you know, he's still in the city. He's very much uh, in the organization. Uh, I speak with him a lot as well because we do both cross paths during the media stuff, and he's he's deserving as well. I'm gonna be biased because I play the running back position, but I know 11 years of that position to play the way Fred played, I, I can understand why he's upset. Yeah. Um, Go ahead, sir. You know he's he's I'm no I mean I again like people always tell me uh, you know like who I I was lucky and let me say this and again I didn't never play with Tony Baselli so I can't say uh, I can't really measure their careers. Um, I was blessed and fortunate enough to get drafted to Jacksonville to learn to learn how to play the position behind one of the greats I personally feel like. Um, a guy at his size and speed, and, and I know he has some injury histories, but when we got there and you saw this, Brent, I mean, we were unstoppable. And a lot of it, a lot of the stuff that I learned, the way my game trains from college to pros was because of Fred Taylor and Kennedy Pola. And so um, I, I definitely feel that, uh, you know, rushing for 10,000 yards for one franchise you're never going to see people do that ever again. That'll never happen again. Yeah. Um, I know people may think Saquon, people may think some of these younger backs, but Fred did. Fred did something that is that you know pretty tough to do, and so. Um, yeah, I understand his frustration. Yeah, I, I respect all those thoughts, too. And I, and I don't know if I disagree with a lot of those thoughts. I, I think you could certainly have put Fred Taylor as the number one player. Again, I looked at this as a fun thing, so I didn't highly debate it as much. But now that if you want to debate it, and here's where Fred's coming from a bit, because he's getting no Hall of Fame consideration. And he should. Exactly. He should. Tony Baselli should have been in the Hall of Fame five years ago. And Fred Taylor should be considered for the Hall of Fame. And down the road, Jimmy Smith should be considered for the Hall of Fame. So Fred's saying, hey, if I'm not even the best player running back in my own franchise's history, how are we supposed to get everybody outside of Jacksonville to view that and give me some love? And so I, I kind of get his point. I guess I was a little bit taken aback, Maurice, with kind of the tone of it that uh, happened on social media in the last hour from Fred. But I do understand if, his 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 stance on it. Well, you, again, you got to remember, I mean – he, you know, Fred definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and, and we can't read. It's like a text message. You can't really yeah, read point. into how someone's <laughs> saying it. We try to, but you shouldn't do that. And so, I mean, he's I thought that was my job, too. Maurice. <laughs> no, well, you know what? Being in the media, it is our job to do that, but I try not to because well, you talk to you him. Know, last I know night. Fred. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I know Fred a lot, and uh, I know Fred really well. And Fred is not a loud person. He's not an outspoken person. Um. But when he does speak, he means what he says. And so, you know, that's something coming from his heart. And, and that, at least for me, that's how I want every person that I want to be around 
tell me how you really feel so I know how to, you know, I know the, your your emotions. And so he's telling people that he, you know, remember they had the whole fragile Freddie thing that I was like, which, which is crazy, right? Because this dude is playing, he was playing with like, you know, all these different type of surgeries and things and still playing at a high level. So I get it. I, I you know, me, I understand his frustration, man. It's, I just, you know, I wish that, and it's my job to continue to, try to pump Fred up as much as possible because, to me, there was no other guy. He could catch the ball out of the backfield. He could run past guys. He could run you over. He could block. He did everything that you wanted a running back to do, and a lot of people shaped their games after him, and that's what you want. You know, you want a guy like that. I think if you argue this point, it might even be saying, hey, oh, that's a knock against Baselli. I'm not even going to do that. What I will say is if Fred no. Taylor was voted number one on this list, I wouldn't have blinked an eye. No, not I don't at all. Know. Me either. either. Yeah. Um, so it, I, I think I think it's tough. We should have a one A and one B, but then that's like giving like the trophies out for playing sports. So we can't do that either. That's what happens. Say hey, you talk about emotion, and I appreciate you jumping on about the Fred stuff that really just happened in the last hour. Uh, and we did want to congratulate you about uh, finishing number four on that list. But I also wanted to ask you, you you went through a holdout in Jacksonville. Uh, I want to say it was really? 2012. Is that right? It was 2012. And you, this was a. Uh, let me preface this with: this was a totally different situation than Yannick Ngakwe's. I, you were coming off a rushing title. You knew as a running back you didn't have ten years left in the league to earn a ton of money. My perception on this was this was a business play to say, hey, I got one more chance to to make some dollars and make more than I'm making, and this is my stance. That was my perception of it from the outside. So I never had a problem with it. But at the same time, you took a lot of heat from the fans for that holdout. Can you take us back to 2012 and give Uh us a little bit of your mindset going into that whole ordeal? Oh, yeah. So – you know, going into it, we understood um, it, it was a little. There was there was different things that going. You got to remember, in 2011, we had a lot of change. Um, owners, uh, you switched from Wayne Weaver to obviously Shad Connors there now. Uh, we went from you know different uh, GM stayed there, but we switched coaches. It was a ton of change going on. Uh, earlier in that year, we had been speaking with the organization about you know doing a, another extension because the running back market had changed at that point. And what I was making at that point wasn't really reflecting my value. Um, and so we were on some good talks. Obviously, the talks, um, they they stalled when, you know, you sell the team and all those different things. And so I was just waiting for it to pick back up. Um, we never got to that opportunity. And so in that situation, just like you said, like I knew at 20, I think I was 27 at the time. It was in 2012, somebody else, 27. I knew that I had at least – three really good years left. And I wanted those those years to be, you know, the obviously the money that I was making to be valued. Um, granted, I knew that there was, a, there was going to be a deal. Uh, anytime a player holds out, you know, the team is never wrong and you should just play and you're making enough money. Like, I completely understand where the fans are coming from. My child was saying some of those things to me at that point. That's one of the reasons I came back. Um, but, but for me was – we there's a I don't I want to call it principle, but there's a value that you have. You have to know your worth mm-hmm. to any in any walk of life. You have to understand your worth. We all have jobs. We're all worth something. That's why we're getting paid. Because if you didn't know your worth, you'd be working for free. And so, regardless if that worth was two dollars or if it was twenty million dollars, it's it's you have to know your value. Uh, coming off that rushing title where I carried the ball or touched the ball over four hundred times, 
all those different things. I was like, yo, like, if you're going to continue to run me into the ground like this, I'm okay with that, but make sure you pay me more then. Mm-hmm. Right? Unless, unless give me the ball less so I can play longer and maximize my, my, my potential uh, growth incurred, or, uh, income. And so, as football players in Austin, we talk, we used to talk about this a lot in the locker room. We're, we're business, we're business owners just like everyone else. We're, we're business savvy just like everyone else. And so, I feel like a lot of teams get caught off guard when players do that. So for me, I sat down in Miami. I knew that I didn't want to play this out to the media. Um, I didn't want to go the back and forth talking trash to each other, any of that stuff. I just wanted to literally sit down, hash this out behind closed doors, and let's get it done. Obviously, it didn't get done, but I sat in Miami by myself while my dad came down, and I trained every day. I actually became a really good golfer, too, because in the off time I started playing <laughs> golf, and I got better. But You didn't like me enough you know, to it, call it, me to play then, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, you had a lot of work to do. You were covering the holdout and everything. But, but I always tell people, you know, as a football player, I retired at 29, Brent, so the rest of, I still have the rest of my life to live. And a lot of times when playing football – if you don't have, you know, I was just, again, lucky and fortunate enough that I was able to go into the, the, the media side and do TV and analyze the game. A lot of us don't have that opportunity, so we have to maximize our earning from the age of 23 to 29. And so we can't, how, how, do, how are we able to do that? Uh, granted, you know, you know, the team gets um, in their contracts, they get a chance to ask for a pay cut, or they can cut you if you're not performing to a level. Well, what happens when you overperform, when you outperform that contract? What happens when, you know, that team is not honoring the contract that, that they, they, they did for you? And so that was my, my grief with it. Um, I think you see the same thing now with all these holdouts, with Ezekiel Elliott, with Yannick Ngakwe, obviously, with Melvin Gordon. Uh, you see Michael Thomas just got his deal done today. But our only leverage as a football player is to with, with, uh, withhold our services to let the team know that we're serious because we have no other avenue to do anything else. Mo, a question I wanted to ask you, and you brought up Gordon and you brought up uh, Ezekiel Elliott as well, and you're talking about the running back position where your lifespan is not that long in the league, and you look at these contracts, how they're set up for the first-round picks. I mean, usually you sign the four-year deal with the fifth-year option, and that's what Gordon's going through right now where he's on his fifth-year option, but he's looking to get some more money. I mean, do you hope in the future that maybe with the new CBA, you hope to see contracts maybe go three years with a, with like a fourth-year uh, option and see that those, those first-rounders get shortened a little bit? Well, yeah, that, that's something that, you know, obviously the NFLPA and then the players are going to have to negotiate with uh, the owners. But, you know, that's something they have to deal with. Um, I remember being a part of that 2011 CBA and some of the things that we were arguing for that we wanted. Um, and the, and we, I remember some of the things that the, the owners wanted. And, and going back and forth and, and part of that lockout and all those different things. Uh, it's definitely it's a tough it's a tough negotiation because – you know, there's 32 of them and there's 2,000 of us, and you have to make sure 2,000 people are on the same page. That's that's really hard. Um, so, you know, to me, when you become a first round pick, and this is not, and, I, and I'll go to the running back conversation because I, you know, I hold that near and dear to my heart. Um, regardless of what the the average of the position is, if you have a playmaker on your team, you better lock that person in. Regardless if the the position lasts three years, if it lasts. 10 years, if it lasts 18 years, if there's a playmaker there, you make, you make sure you have that team because, let's be honest, quarterback, quarterbacks get paid a ton of money, but they need more help around them than any other position. Mm-hmm, true. A running back doesn't need a quarterback to turn around and hand the ball off. 
He needs an offensive line, right? Mm-hmm. A receiver needs a quarterback to throw the ball, but I mean, like the quarterback needs an offensive line. They need a running back to make sure that there's eight guys in the box to help with the coverage. They need receivers that are go out and catch. And yet we pay them boats loads of money. And even when a guy is not worth the money, we still give him, you know, fifteen to twenty million dollars because that's the market for that position. So. I, I, I still try to sit back and I'm still trying to adjust to like the, the the thought process of some of these teams and how they're making these deals. Like I know a lot of teams are using analytics and those type of things, but let's remember analytics and and, and from what I understand, um, and there's different parts of it. There's never anyone held accountable in analytics. Their excuse when something goes wrong is it without well, the numbers. Yeah, yeah. There's no <laughs> accountability in that situation. So, yeah. you know, when I hear teams say, "Well, the analytics say we shouldn't pay running backs," well. If you're the Chargers, analytics doesn't also put in that Phillip Rivers is 37 years old and that he's only getting older. He's not getting any younger. And that you're going to need a running back to help with that eight, that, um, that to put eight guys in the box so that Phillip Rivers can get the ball out to Mike Williams and Keenan Allen and help with that offensive line who's, who's actually getting better. But you need a guy that's going to, you know, go out there and adjust. Now, people are going to say, well, you know, last year without Melvin Gordon, they were 4 0. And then my response to that is, look at the yardage totals and the point totals in those games as well. Mm-hmm. I want to say it's 100 yards less total as an offense, and then I think the point total was like eight eight points or seven points. It's like a touchdown less without Melvin Gordon. We go to Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, this is, a easy, this is the easiest argument that you can make. The Cowboys without Ezekiel Elliott may win five games. Yeah. yeah. We've seen it. We've already seen it when he was suspended, right? Yeah, and they, well, I mean, everything runs around him. So, so what are we doing here? If you want to win, if you if you're telling me that you want to get something done, you got to go with the guy that makes the team work. Let me ask and you, and that's Ezekiel Elliott. Mojo, though, is is there a he's got two years, thirteen left on his deal? I understand leverage and all those things, but I mean, you sign up, it's part up, right? I mean, I sign up to work here and I sign up for a four year deal, and two years later, I'm not necessarily ripping up my deal. You know, I mean, so like, I think some people at, don't. At, I think some people a, do. Yeah, I, I think at a time, like, I'm going to pretty be... soon in my contract here, Brent. About <laughs> I, four months into it, I'm getting ready to rip it up. But yeah. have we changed the line? I guess you know what I mean. I think it's now. Like, it used yeah. to be like at the end, or with one year left, kind of like the Yannick situation. You might rip it up, and you might start working on something new. But now it feels like it's going back and back and back, like to two years, especially for the running well, back position. Yeah. So for me, I was two years. I had two years left. Um and that was a big concern. They were like, give us one more year. But I'm like, you know, I play a position where, and you guys, we would have 10 guys in the box. Oh, yeah. It would be crazy. Like, I mean, it wasn't, you know, and that's just how teams face us. We were, Jacksonville is known, even now, Jacksonville is known as a run-first team. And so teams are going to play you a certain way. Um, and so that was something, again, for me, where I was like, wow, like, all right. Um, when it comes to, Teams and my dad taught me this. My dad told me this a long time ago as a kid. He was like, "Either going to pay now or you're going to pay later." Um, kind of going to more. I want to focus more on the Jaguars. You knew when you drafted Jalen Ramsey how good he was going to be, right? Yeah, yeah. We knew that from day one. He was phenomenal. Why not prepare to pay him earlier so you get him cheaper than waiting for the end of his contract and then having to break the whole bank? Yeah, I think right? that's fair. Yeah, I think that, absolutely. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah. You you knew when you saw Yannick Ngakwe get sacks year one that he just gets sacks and the ball comes out. Mm-hmm. You have to prepare for those things ahead of time. And so that's that's just me from a player standpoint. I get from an organizational standpoint, you're saying, look, uh, we have to allocate so much money to each position. 
we have to do different things. We have different, you know, there may be, you know, an unexpected, um, there may be an unexpected, you know, um, thing that comes up that we have to pay for, whatever it may be. I don't know. I understand that. But you also have to budget in. If a player plays really well early and he's a young player and you can lock him in, you better lock him in because those guys, they, they end up affecting your team. And that's that's what's going to end up again. If I if I'm the Jags, I want to say and I and I, I don't I'm not going to say names, but we as the Jags and I say we because I was a part of it. We've gone out and got a lot of free agents who haven't panned out, and you pay them a lot of money, and that affects your locker room more when you have a guy in your locker room that deserves to get paid because everyone's seen him work, and you don't you don't pay him or you don't you know give him the respect he deserves. Yeah, and I won't put words in your mouth, but a simple example of that is like an Andrew Norwell, who was missed last year, got top dollar, and now this year you're like, okay, can you pay enough or have enough for Yannick Ngakwe? Which, by the way, I do think they have enough money. Uh, Mojo, I'm not going to keep you too much longer. I know you got work to do at the NFL Network, and we appreciate it. Maurice Jones-Drew, former uh, Jags great running back, uh, fourth all-time on the All-25, uh, and did not tweet uh, after that, at least uh, in angst. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, how emotional can these things get? Because I sense this one's emotional. From what I can figure out, I sense this is an emotional negotiation or lack thereof stalemate. How much does emotion come into play, especially in your case back in 2012? Shad Khan said, hey, the train is leaving the station. I mean, as like a competitor, did you take offense to that? Did these things get to a boiling point? Uh, where does emotion play in this stuff? Well, I'll say this. For, for Yannick, it's going to be very emotional because it's his first time. And my first time negotiating my deal with the Jags, um, it was it was emotional because when they when you hear you know they're the team's job is to get you as cheap as possible right that's yep. that's their that's their angle um, so they're not going to say well you know he had twelve and a half sacks this many lost but they're going to say well what about the plays that he messed up on and that's where it touches you personally um, in those negotiations uh, when when obviously when Mr. Khan had said that. At that point, you know, I, you know, I think my agent responded, "Well, there's 31 other trains out there, or something." He said, "I don't, I don't remember <laughs> what was actually said, but you know, I knew their, I knew how the team is going to operate at that point. So it was my second time trying to get it. It was my second deal or my third deal that I was trying to get. So it didn't affect me as much. Um, I think what affected me more in that situation was when we would reach out to the Jags about creating the starting the dialogue back up again, and they would act as if. Oh no! Don't worry about. It. We're not gonna. We, you know, <clears throat> we're not gonna do it. He he just needs to be here. And I'm like, well, hold on. Like, we were just speaking a couple months ago, and all of a sudden we're not speaking. Like that. that that's not how this works. And so, um, I think with Yannick, it's gonna be very uh, personal. It's gonna be a very emotional um, one because, you know, people say it's business. It's not personal. No, business is personal because it affects your livelihood. It yeah. affects your family. Bank account. It affects yeah. Creating generational wealth. And so. If I if I were you know if, if anyone that's listening, if your boss came in and was like, no, you know what, we're going to pay you, you know, half of what you're getting paid now, but we want you to do more. You're going to be like, are you crazy? Yeah. Are you outside your mind? That's per- that's personal, right? He, you feel attacked personally, and so I think that's where they are now. But you know, hopefully they can get something done because this team is ready to go. Um, you have some young guys that can really play. You have some nice veterans that are doing a good job. But we all know in this league, I don't care, you know, people are going to say, oh, the Patriots aren't very talented. No, they're, they're very talented. You need talent in this league to win. Um, you can't win without talent. You can't win without good players. And 
that's you know Yannick is a really good player as well as Jalen and then Miles Jack who's who's probably coming up as well. I mean, I mean they they drafted really well in that in that draft class, and that's important. You got to draft well, and you got to pay your players. Yeah, especially homegrown guys. Maurice Jones, Drew, last one for you, man. Uh, can, he has a deadline coming up, restricted, unrestricted free agency, August 6th. I think you know, it feels like he's got to get here. Some people say, well, he can still play with that thing. Can he? Oh, here's what I want to ask you. Can he play on a $2 million final year of his contract and risk that? And on the other side Ooh, could be uh, Yannick. I mean, he's got $2 million okay. left on this rookie deal. Can, I mean, as a player... Can you do that? That seems so risky to me where even if a number that you don't like and you'd have to swallow pride and and take a hit in your ego to reach a deal that's less than you want to take. But it might be 19 million or 20 million. Can you would you as a player in that kind of situation gamble on yourself and now put yourself in the defensive end, not running back situation? Uh, Would you gamble on yourself at two million dollars in your final year? I think you would have to. I think Aaron Donald showed that that's what you have to do. Um, being a part of the Rams broadcast, Aaron Donald held out two years in a row. Um, one, because – and then people have to understand the reason you're holding out, one is for safety reasons, right? We've seen all these guys who were in camp tearing ACLs. A.J. Green just had to have ankle surgery. You have to protect yourself because your body is your resume. Your body is – you know, your, your body of work is what everyone's looking at. And so um, – you have to protect yourself in that situation. I think that's why he's not there. Um, and so that's that's important. Um, that's why you don't put yourself out there. Now, you can try to go and get insurance, per se, to like help you if you get hurt so you can get an insurance. But, I mean, it's just, it's, to me, I wouldn't risk the $2 million at defensive end because you do get hit a lot and you have to make a ton of plays. And so it's it's one of those things where you just hope, you just hope, that the Jags can get this thing done um, because Yannick finds a way to get to the quarterback. And those guys, this league is about affecting the quarterback and protecting the quarterback. How do you see it ending? Think he gets a deal done or you think he plays it out or doesn't show up? Uh, uh, well, you know what? I, I'm not going to lie. Um, when we started texting last night, I started diving into it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I always try to be positive, so hope, I, I hope that they get a deal done. I really do, um, because he deserves it. Um, I know that market is high for that position that gets after the quarterback, but you know that's that's the price of doing business when you when you get those homegrown guys. You got to take care of them. Yeah, I, so said, I think they get it done. I think they get it done. That's interesting. And I, I said this yesterday on the show, man. I've been following the story, and we've been talking a little bit too about it. But I, I said yesterday, I think there's a 90% chance at this stage of it, and I think things can change on a diamond negotiations. But at this stage of it, this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, I think there's a 90% chance it doesn't get done. Um, but I do think that can change in a, on a dime too. But that's where it sits well, right now. It's a stalemate. It's a dead stalemate well, at this moment. Well, can I say this as well? Like you have to understand, they just drafted Josh Allen, and he's coming in. He's looking good in training camp so that may be a part of it as well but i know this and 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 austin can talk about this uh and i i hope you guys do a whole show on it the locker room itself the locker room itself is a very unique situation you don't want that to get messed up you don't want anyone to be upset so you don't want yannick to come back and play and be angry because he can that'll affect the way you win or lose 
Oh, I've already talked about that. Don't yeah. worry, man. Yeah, no, you're right. The, hey, I've been campaigning. Don't doubt about the locker room is watching this, especially with Jalen and Miles coming up in the next year. Hey, Maurice Jones, Drew. I don't know if you meant this, but when there were some silent moments, there was a clock ticking. Like that was pretty good to go along with the Yannick and Gakwe situation. I thought that was. It, it sounded like there was a clock ticking in the background. Uh, I'm picking up uh, my nephew from school right now, so. You might have heard the uh, school clock going or something. Oh, or maybe it was the directional. Blinker. Yeah. The blinker. There we go. Oh, right. it, was, it was my blinker. Yes, it was my blinker. That was good, though. I mean, it was like right on cue. It was perfect. <laughs> hey, you know, some of us are made for television and radio, right? <laughs> like, we're we're here to make it happen. So, I, uh, I definitely, uh, again, guys, I appreciate it. Again, I appreciate being number four on the, uh, the Jags all-time 25 list. Wish I could have been numero uno, but definitely understand. And uh, I, you know what? I'm uh, I'll be back in Jacksonville soon. Awesome! Can't I think on for the week three game, so we gotta have to link link up. Absolutely, that's a Tennessee cool. game. Look forward to it, man. Thanks for taking the time. Appreciate it, bud. Anytime, guys. I'll see you later. Okay. Thank you. Maurice Jones-Drew, former Jags great, finished number four in the All-25, now with the NFL Network, and now he's obviously on uh, uh, carpool duty today. Yeah, yeah. Um, good thought, uh, good insight. Again, the last time we have had this in Jacksonville, uh, anything like the Yannick Ngakwe situation was Maurice Jones-Drew, and I did preface the whole conversation with it, it was totally different. But uh, definitely some interesting thoughts from Maurice Jones-Drew on the situation from the player side, from the organizational side, uh, and after going through it in 2012. All right, we got a lot of work to do. We appreciate Maurice uh, hanging on with us for whew, almost like a half hour there. If you missed it, you can always go back and check it out on Action Sports Chats on ESPN 690. More to come when we come back, including balling and falling. Definitely pretty young. You know, I'm in my second year. Um, Dubs and I think his fourth year so um, you know both of our first year starting so we're very young room got a lot of rookies in there um, a lot of inexperienced guys but a lot of talent as well that's Ronnie Harrison Jaguar safety second year safety I tell you there was a lot of hype around Ronnie Harrison now I hyped him up last year I think he's a good player there's not a lot of guys that just jump out at me and say wow this guy could be something special third round pick a year ago out of Alabama I think he made it so comfortable to sit and then release uh, Barry Church, the veteran, and I think this year he takes a big step. He could. I'm not saying he's going to be a star in the league this year. Uh, I thought Miles Jack might do that last year, maybe this year. Uh, but Ronnie Harrison, you look at the next couple years, I think he could develop into quietly probably on this defense because you'd be under a lot of big names. But I think quietly could be one of the uh, – uh, top safeties in the NFL. We'll see. That could be a home run pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Brent Martineau back with uh, Austin Lane, a.k.a. the Cat Killer, and uh, John Bachman uh, from CBS 47 and Fox 30. Allegations. <laughs> Again, it's something about Bachman in the news and CBS 47 Seriously, and Fox 30 at 5 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> Give me allegations. I guess so, man. You. Uh, could get another phone call today. Can't wait. What's on like the magic right whiteboard? There. Makes you think. Check it out, man. Chocolate milk strengthens the bones for the weight you gain from drinking it. Well, you know what? There you go. Hey, yeah. Thai guy, if you're listening, it's perfect. you need both. <laughs> so drink chocolate milk. Have at it, man. That's it. He go and put it. a little IV in there if you got to, he man. He loves chocolate milk. I man. love chocolate Who doesn't like chocolate milk? Oh, except you. I know. You hate it. What, not really? You hate chocolate milk? How oh, is that I possible? Can, I can't even have a sip of it. That's Are nasty. you lactose intolerant? No, I don't like chocolate. You don't like chocolate? Isn't that insane? Yeah. How do you think I keep I my don't good know, figure? I, I, I don't so. even I don't even know this man. Look, look, looking good, rocking the all white everything today. You're wearing, by the way, too. All just, white, just shades of tan and white. Good, good call. I Thank like you. it. Yeah, kind of like you. 
No, because hey, uh, did you see the socks though too? I'm rocking some green, a little collar, man. I see. Nice try though. You were you were pretty neutral. Missed it by the that socks. much, man. Missed it by the socks. It's okay though. So I, do you guys fight like this all the time or just when I'm here? Most of the time. Most of the time. All right, it's yeah. nothing neutral about Austin though, right? No, it's all or nothing. Yeah, all or nothing. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, that's a compliment. Where I come I, from? Yeah, that's yeah. It. I think it is. Yeah. I mean, I I, I think it is a compliment. There's okay. no there's saying, no like fence you, sitting. Like there's no fence this. sitting. I I wear this outfit and I'm like look like Switzerland. I'm right? not gonna wear that though. But that's you, that's a difference. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm just saying. I if wouldn't you wear didn't that have outfit. the colored socks on. You'd look pretty neutral. No, today. no, for sure. But, but you don't ever look neutral. Really. I mean, you got the bands that are 15 years old. I'm never neutral, man. And plus, I'm not wearing V-necks like you're still wearing. So you know. V-necks are looking better and better at me. The more and more I hit the gym. <laughs> do what you got to do, man. That's, that's your opinion. <laughs> One more question. Are you wearing the AirPods when you're at the, at the gym as well? Uh, yeah, I actually went shopping oh, yesterday, yeah. and I took a picture of the AirPods for you. Thank they were you. cheap. They were on sale at uh, Costco. How much? 200 bucks? No, like 145 Man. You might want to go get them. Must be nice. Must be nice to have that kind of money just to throw out Man. and be like, I'm going to lose a couple of AirPods, but I'll just buy some more. And then I went to Lululemon because you told me they had hey. that. I was going for a walk in the town center. See that's prices? an expensive Holy trip. See those prices? I, dude, I wasn't lying. This shirt at Lululemon? Wasn't lying. This is $88. Did you try it on, though? No. Oh, man. I didn't feel as nice. Dude. It's, it's like angels here, man. It's just, it's the it's best. It's eighty-eight dollars. It's like angels here. I'm telling you, but yeah, For very pressure. I know. Hey, Lou Lemon, cut the check. Let's get a sponsorship wow. here. Yep. I don't know if we're actually encouraging people to go if we keep saying well, how expensive Maybe for like a for MMA, I can maybe get them to sponsor me, because after my last debacle, my fight shorts that were hey, talk to aggressively Foles. Foles short. Is a Lulu guy? He is a Lulu guy. There you go. Well, that guy can, he's got $88 million, so $88 t-shirts don't matter. Not a big deal for him. You can probably buy two of them. Yeah. All right, you, we already kept you waiting. It's 440. You're almost on TV. <laughs> I John go, Bachman's yeah, got yeah. his tie and his suit coat on. Probably already did the makeup. What's well, up? Always, always makeup, right? <laughs> Don't ever leave home without it, Brent. What's your big news okay, today, Lot so, J? Okay, so you had Stephanie on, Stephanie yeah. Brown from uh, WOKV, talking about the big news for Lot J. The announcement came today that there's a deal in place, which means basically they needed to have that deal in place with the city before they can start building and, and the, the whole process. Yeah. I just find it very interesting. And we got Russell Colburn on the story for uh, Action News Jacks coming up at 5 o'clock. He's going to be looking into more details on what's coming, how it's coming, all this stuff. Um, over the next several hours today. So th- it'll be a big story for us all day long, including tonight at 10 and 11. But I thought it was interesting because two years ago, July, I think it was 25th, maybe 24th, I was on the phone with the mayor while he was in Baltimore. He Two years ago, July of 2017, he was on the Jags, one of the, one of the jets with Lamping. Um, I remember that picture. And some other folks. Yeah. And he was in Baltimore, he was in St. Louis, and he was in Kansas City. Three places that all have these uh, developments, live arena-type places mm-hmm. that they're looking to put, that are right there in the renderings for, for Lot J. Mm-hmm. And I believe, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think they're all by the same developer. Which Cornish. is Cordish, which is the Cordish, one, yeah. which is the one that they're partnering with. So, uh, I guess the point I find interesting out of all that is these deals is no surprise that these deals take time to 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 work themselves out and 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 come to to the surface. But that was two years ago, and so I guess just kind of just show you just how long these kinds of things are are happening, and who knows how exactly how long it'll be till that thing's actually up in Jacksonville. But uh, it, you know, it gives you an it's idea. Not a sprint; uh, it's a marathon. Absolutely, <laughs> is. And and so th- there's a whole bunch of other stories in there that are something we'll we'll try to flush out. But I think it's very interesting that um, two years ago they were already looking at this kind of thing. And as I tweeted out, don't you think this kind of thing would be perfect for say mm, the NFL draft? Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, we've talked a lot about I this mean, in the past. I've been to yeah. a lot of drafts now, and we did it around draft time. And we, yeah. Nashville was huge. Yeah. Vegas, I think, will be huge. Philadelphia was huge. But there's still a um, 
that can be <laughs> this is a bad word, but for lack of other words, like a quaintness to the draft mm-hmm. that you don't need it to be a national championship game, mm-hmm. a Super Bowl kind of atmosphere. And it can still be pulled off and done very well. And this is a perfect venue for what they want to accomplish in the draft once they build hotels and restaurants. Well, and that's, all part, that's all part of this plan. I mean, there's going to be a hotel. There's going to be a residential component. There's going to be restaurants and all that stuff. I so guarantee it. In is, fact, what did I bet? I bet somebody by like 2027 or I think if we don't have the draft. Yeah, you, you can't yeah, remember that's the bet. Right. It was, it was, it was dinner. Ruth Chris dinner. Oh, yeah. yeah. We'll have the draft by 2027 yeah. well, or I'm buying Ruth Chris's. Yeah. I would argue, I would argue that this will have to be built before that happens True. clearly there's so, a lot of pressure mayor better call lamping up and, and say yeah. hey look i got a dinner right i'm expensing it to downtown or jags headquarters if that you know what else is interesting real quickly before i go you know um st louis used their facility recently you know what it was for the national the, the stanley cup championship celebration mm. ah. they had a big big party for they the did. stanley cup champion st louis blues so Maybe before we get the draft, we can have a Super Bowl party there. Yeah, I like for that. For the Jags. How about, how about that? Money. I would sign up for that. All right, as would I. That was a heck of a party, too. Where it they was fantastic. It. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was great. Uh, so, all right, we got right. a lot of other stuff going on, hey, but i got to run and Thanks, go finish man. up. Thanks so. for hanging. Sorry to keep you waiting. As always, thank you very much for having me. So we'll see Thanks you guys. Stop so, so, unless you're the third best player in Jacksonville Jaguars history, though. Well, we I was going to make, I was gonna make us think that I thought I should be in the top 25. I mean, I don't know how I got overlooked. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, man. You're probably the, the top best dressed right now in the studio. So <laughs> Take well, that for what it's worth. I'm the only one wearing makeup, I think. Boy, you really don't like this V-neck, huh? Dude, I, I don't like the whole ensemble, man. You look like a bouncer from the Cheesecake Factory, dude. What's up, Brian? Looks like he's, he's carting kids at the Cheesecake Factory, man. Looks like he's bouncing at the Cheesecake Factory right now with that hat on, too. Yeah, he's got his AirPods in, man. Bounce at the Cheesecake Factory. Sorry, Brian. I, I didn't mean that one, I'm but I kind of did. You're falling. Whatever, man. And we're back on ESPN 690. Oh my goodness, don't get me off topic, all right? Let's get some stuff done. Pay the bills. Marcel Robinson has a killer hat on. He's balling. like that. He's got the lid. Yep. We're going to give away some of those lids once in a while. I'll do it. Okay, you got an idea? Some kind uh, of contest? Yeah, I was thinking earlier in the week. You're going to get me off on a tangent here. There we I'll go. think about it, uh, but we'll give away one or two or three down the road. I have cool. like 50 or 60 of them. I mean, there's a lot of reception from them, man. A lot of a lot of happy people out there I, I know, with these I like hats. It. Yeah. I, I was pretty pleased with the... I was, uh, and that was all your idea. So, see? in terms of style, you did good on that. I'm yeah, proud so of you, man. when I'm bouncing at the Cheesecake Factory, I think I'll wear the hat. <laughs> there we go. There no one's going to mess with you. Nice lid, Coos. He was balling, too. What do you got? What are we balling and falling balling. today? Balling. Uh, not sure if this is really a balling or a falling. Probably well, a balling. That's a good tease. But, yeah, but Monday, be convicted. Well, Brent, Monday was National Hot Wing Day or Chicken Wing Day, and competitive eater Joey Chestnut uh, celebrated harder than anybody else. Did you see what he ate? No. Joey Chestnut ate 413 wings in a 12-hour contest. Very baller. But my question to you is who holds a, an eating contest for 12 hours? It's supposed to be a sprint, not a marathon. But four yeah. and thirteen wings, very impressive. Were they hot? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I didn't get that kind of details in my research. But four hundred and thirteen wings in twelve hours. You know what's funny about like how many hot dogs does he eat in like a half hour? Like seventy. Right? Yeah. It, it, so for, to be honest with you, four hundred and thirteen wings doesn't sound See, like a lot. That's what I'm saying because it's twelve hours. Like you can just kind of span that. Out. I mean, yeah, I can't eat four hundred and thirteen hot wings ever. But yeah, twelve hours seems like a long time. But it's still balling. He ended uh, up winning it, so I don't know. 
Yeah, good job. You know what I'm Thank gonna you. give? Here, here's what I'm gonna give uh, Ballin to. I gotta double check his name, um, but it's really about the whole area of tight ends in high school. In the last few days, tight ends in I would say, Marcel, what do you think? In the last five, six days, three, four days, when did the when did the Bulls kid commit? To Princeton. Ooh, was that uh, a while ago or was that recent? I think it's been he I think he's been recent. All right, well let's just celebrate uh tight ends in Jacksonville. Okay. Okay? And I'm not talking about Jaguars, but I'm talking about high school kids. It's an we don't talk about the tight end position very much. But there were two kids at Creekside. Uh Calhoun, Shane Calhoun. Yep. He's going to <laughs> where's he going? Uh you remember? Creekside? No, he's going to East Carolina. Yeah, ECU. Yep. Uh and then his teammate, Christian Williams. Commits to Lehigh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the young man we had on yesterday, Simon Bracken. Yep. Brackens from Bowles. Yep. Going to Princeton. Mm-hmm. Right. And then uh, this is the one I got to make sure I have his name right. Uh, Nick Elksness. Okay. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, but I think that's how you say his name. From Episcopal. Just committed today as a 2021 commit to Penn State. Dang. And I believe uh, Sandalwood's tight end H-back, Cornelius, oh, yeah, 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 he just yeah. admitted to uh, UCF. UCF? How, how, I forgot about Sorry, man. How big is this kid that's going to Penn State? Just out of curiosity. I kind of put you on the spot there. But, I mean, uh, let's see Penn State's a pretty good tight end six, school. 6 two twenty. And he's a junior? Or going to be a junior? He's a junior. Six six two twenty. About part, uh-huh. the, about part of the course. Hey, now. dude, listen to this, okay? <laughs> and Ty, block your ears if you're listening. But he's six six two twenty. He's two years older than my kid, who's four ten and four eleven, four ten and eighty four pounds. Six six two twenty. I hate kids. Someone was taking all the Flintstone vitamins out of the womb. Whatever, man. Congratulations to yeah, that. That's so, awesome. So, how about five tight ends, man? Yep. Uh, this is. I don't remember this many tight ends going. Remember the kid from uh, UC Stro Stoshak? Oh yeah, one of the Stoshak boys. Yeah, yep. uh, he. I remember him as a tight end. I'm probably missing some guys, but I don't really remember a lot of tight ends out of this area. So anyway, balling for the tight ends, and now I think somebody should be a tight ends coach in Jacksonville. Pete Mitchell, Kyle Brady, start yeah, a clinic. Good call. I, I played tight end specialization. Yeah, I you could. did. See, you were on the offensive side. You thought you were going to be a tight end. I know, man. I want to be a tight end. Uh, fallen. Back to the baseball, Brent. Back to the, the brouhaha, the Pier 6 brawl that occurred with the Cincinnati Reds and Pittsburgh Pirates. Fallen is Jesse Winkler, an outfielder for the Cincinnati Reds who found out that Yeso Puig was getting traded in the most baseball way possible. Check out the audio. Puig's going to the Indians. Puig's going to the Indians. We sent, that we sent Trammell to the Padres. Three-team deal, Trammell. So what had happened was Winkler found out that his teammate was getting traded from a fan in the outfield. Uh, <laughs> nobody seemed to tell Winkler what was going on. So Winkler literally found out that one of his teammates was getting traded from a baseball fan that was sitting in the outfield. The most baseball thing of all baseball things. Uh, that is, that's awesome. It's kind of like a little bit at the College World Series when those guys sometimes find out they're drafted from people in the stands. Yeah, yeah. Or it did happen in the past. I think the, the dates are a little moved around now. But they, there can be playing games, mm-hmm. you know, and super regionals, and, and then they find out from the fan base. Uh, Fallen for me is going to be back-end bullpens in baseball. And I think so many people are looking for help, including the Red Sox, on this trade deadline, and they – there's not a lot of places to go for it, mm. which is not that this. It's a commodity that's tough to get often anyway, in terms of being a closer or a setup guy, and, and that can help you win. But it's so important in baseball now. 
Like the one belief I have is the Red Sox, and that's one of the reasons I made the Huckleberry bet, is that I don't think the Red Sox have a chance to go to the World Series because they don't have a good back end. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just don't. Uh, they let Kimbrell go, and even if – and he hadn't even been great at times, but they, they lost their chance. They were, they were trying to manufacture a bullpen. You don't do that this day and age in baseball. And on top of that, a guy like Edwin Diaz, who looked like he might get shipped or shopped from the Mets, now all of a sudden he can't get anybody out. So even a guy that you thought you might want to invest in right at the trade deadline, he now is like, really? Am I going to take a shot at this guy? Yeah. So yep. I, I think as we get closer to the postseason – because of analytics, because of how hard people throw, and I really think the Yankees are in good shape in this situation, even the Dodgers, who are so good, I don't think are comfortable with Jansen and their bullpen. So keep an eye on back ends of bullpens when we get closer to the postseason when you're making your picks, because I think it's an, a, a very, very important part of the equation. It's seventh, eighth, and ninth inning games, because in the postseason, games get shorter and shorter for teams. Let me ask you this question. For this Huckleberry bet, were the Astros one of the teams that oh, you yeah. can't – so the Astros are one of the teams that, yeah. that they go, oh, you're screwed. Yeah. Well, I got some bad news for you because the Astros just acquired Aaron Sanchez from the Blue Jays and Zach Greinke uh, as well to add to their pitching staff. They just got Greinke? They got Greinke. How ridiculous is that? At the buzzer. Do you need any more pitchers? Are you guys set up now? You guys good? Wow. They Zach got, Greinke going to the Astros. I did not see that. They just they got Greinke. Breaking news, yes. Oh, yeah. I see it right now. It's right in the front page. I was looking at the side, lo- side notes. Yeah. Wow, that is not good for my hundred dollars. No, oh no. I see. I really like the Astros. Yeah, I like the Astros yeah. team. I'm. Uh, I just can't have. I'm go Twins. Go. Why couldn't the Twins have gotten Granky? <laughs> Anybody else got Granky? The Astros had to get him. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. Uh, but in the in the Huckleberry bet, I can't have the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Indians, or the Astros go. <laughs> and right now, they're four of the top five teams in the AL. Yeah. Although I'm still all I want. As a fair chance in this bet is for two of the teams to not make it. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm telling you, the Red Sox will not make it. I'm convinced. I have no worry about the Red Sox. They're not making. Yeah. I don't even think they're making the postseason. They're not. But I need, like, Cleveland to bow out, and I need the Rays to start playing well, and Oakland to keep playing well, mm-hmm. or Minnesota. So I need two teams in the playoffs against the Yankees and Astros. Yep. That's all I ask for. Give me a chance. You saying this? Astros, man. Sorry. All right, let's reset everything. Fred Taylor's pissed off. <laughs> Fully triggered. Yannick Ngakwe still no deal. Still triggered. But he's tweeting. And I've got a conversation with Keelan Cole coming up on ESPN 690. Yeah, absolutely. I think you see these guys, you know, following Nick. I think Nick is just a natural leader. Uh, Nick cares about people and, and outside the building. So, I mean, he's going to be the guy that asks you about your kids, asks you about your family, you know, how's your day going, and genuinely means it. And I think, like Coach Marone's been stressing, you know, earning trust and communication with each other, um, coaches to players, players to players, players to coaches. I think Nick has really taken that to heart and really tried to be a prime example in that. I feel like we've talked so much about Nick Foles that sometimes we forget to kind of revisit some of the things that made him – the apple of the Jaguars' eye in free agency, you know, to take the place of Blake Bortles and, and move this franchise forward. And I think leadership can be overused, especially with media. It sounds like coach speak. It sounds a little bit um, almost like you're, you're, you're almost like the voice of the franchise or the player a little bit when you say that stuff. So I don't like to get too carried away with that. I think it's a part of sports. I think it's a part of anything, any walk of life, you know, when you work. But 
I will just say this about the leadership part of Nick Foles. And by the way, that was John DeFilippo, the uh, Jaguars offensive coordinator, who obviously has spent a lot of time with Nick Foles. Uh, two were in Philadelphia together and won a Super Bowl together. But every receiver you talk to, every offensive lineman you talk to, every running back you talk to, I'm not saying I've talked to everyone, but everyone we talk to seems to say that first, the leadership. Mm-hmm. And there's two schools of thought on that. One is the guy's really good at that. It registers with them. They appreciate that. They're looking for that. The other one is, man, that is a quality that has been missing around here at the quarterback position, which should be the ultimate leadership position in maybe all of sports. And it has been missing in Jacksonville, Florida, and with the Jacksonville Jaguars franchise for, let's say, all the way back till 2010. Let's just be safe that way. And I think we can debate if it was even further back. But. For the last eight years of this franchise, and we have talked about this before, but I think it's worth bringing back up, especially when John Filippo and we're talking to these guys coming off the practice field continue to say this message that it has been missing. It's a lot like Calais Campbell when he walked in that locker room in 2017. I, I get the sense, okay, this is kind of – this is not literally, it's more figuratively, that – the whole locker room just – it was like they welcomed home a big brother they hadn't seen in 10 years. They were just missing that element. Mm-hmm. They were like, we are a bunch of young pups that really love to play and can play and we're talented, but we have no idea what to do when this happens or this happens, but this guy knows what to do. And I sense that's what happened in 2017. I know nobody said that. I know nobody would say that. But you kind of get the figurative message that that was what happened with that locker room. That's how important Calais Campbell was to that locker room. And I'm not saying Calais Campbell has worn out as welcome with that. But you got to hit the reset button, the refresh button. And I feel like it's happened a little bit now because you want it from the quarterback position. And I feel like Nick Foles is being adopted that way inside the locker room. Again, figuratively speaking, to say – Finally, finally, this guy is 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 what we need at this spot, you know. And yeah, that is a knock on Blake Bortles. That is a knock on Blaine Gabbert. That is a knock on those young guys that were trying to play. And listen, I defended Blake uh, for a long, long time, but there was never that feeling around Blake Bortles. There was more a hit and hope feeling with Blake Bortles. So I think uh, as what we're seeing in the spring and now what we're seeing start to play out, and who knows how it translates. I do think this was about as welcomed of a role as somebody could be in uh, in that locker room, given the circumstances going into 2019. And I don't think we should take those leadership terms too lightly. I think that's what they mean by it. I really do. Uh, that They're starving for a little bit out of that position. I mean, they're starving big time, but let's take into account where the Jaguars are coming from at the same time. They paid Blake Bortles this huge sum of money. And he turned out to be like the false prophet. He was the false hero. Everybody believed in him, and uh, all things regardless, he kind of let everybody down, right? He he showed um he showed his colors last year, you could say, mm-hmm. and it was a disappointing season to say the least. So, anytime you have that happen, um, anytime you have that kind of false sense of security where you think 2017 is going to happen again, and then it doesn't, and then you literally are at the depths uh, of the NFL, um, you you take anybody, you know? I mean, I think. Uh, not necessarily with Joe Flacco, but if Joe Flacco would have came in, I felt like for the most part he would have been welcomed with open arms as well. Yeah, now, in the locker room, the fan and, base yes. wouldn't have been for it, but the locker room definitely. Because Joe Flacco, once again, uh, say what you want about him, he's won a Super Bowl. Yep. All right, he's been there. So the fact that you know Nick Foles is kind of fresh to so many people, um, he's coming off a Super Bowl win a couple years ago. He's coming off a, a pretty good playoff run just this previous year. So, yeah, I mean, I think you had a team uh, that was ready to embrace somebody and ready to believe in something, and Nick Foles is that guy. 
Absolutely. Marcel Robinson, best hands in the city of Jacksonville, he says. Uh, mm. you were out, you've been out there. You feel that presence. You see it from the receivers. We're talking to these guys. And you know what else, Marcel? I think, and, and again, you got the best hands in Jacksonville, so you can maybe say this better, but it feels like the receivers are performing well. So it's having an impact on maybe the way they're even playing. Yeah, I think for uh, to piggyback on that, the receivers look the best that we've ever seen them, to be completely honest with you. I mean, D.D. Westbrook looks amazing. I mean, he was, you know, the bright spot at wide receiver last year. But even this year, I mean, he just looks like he's taking another step. Keelan Cole, uh, D.J. Chark seemingly taking another step. Even some of the rookie guys um, that we've got and first-year guys we T. have. T. Brady. Yes, <laughs> Tyree Brady. We have our um, own T. Brady. That's right. He's he's better. Too. Yeah, number nineteen. He's pr- he's been good. Yeah, pretty good um, for him. And, and I think a lot of that is because, I mean, from a um, from wide receivers' perspective, when I just feel like you know, look, everyone loved Blake and everything, but as a wide receiver, when you know and you trust that the ball is going to be at a certain place when it uh, at a certain time, you know that automatically improves your game. And I think a, a lot of that also comes from not wanting to be the guy to let you know Nick Foles down because him coming in here, you know, everyone has high expectations for him. So if you fail, it's it's you, not him, type of thing. And I mean, I, I think that from every receiver we've talked to, they've said, you know, hey. You know, Nick's no stranger to coming coming by. If if we mess up a rep, you know, he'll be you know no stranger to come up and say, hey, look, you know, do this, do this, do this. Um, and I think that level of leadership, like you said, is something that we haven't seen here before. Uh, we have a lot of guys coming here and say they'll be a leader and they talk the talk, but you know, we've seen Nick Foles walk the walk in other places, and rather other free agents when they come in here, they don't walk the walk here. It looks like Nick Foles is, you know, showing, you know, that he's re- walking the walk and doing everything he's been expected to do. Especially out of that position, too. You know, and that position needs it, uh, and, and it really translates in a locker room. You know, it's it, the other thing that I, it strikes me, and it kind of goes a little bit to the why everybody watching Yannick Ngakwe's situation, is because the locker room, men, do they respect the resume? Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, you got, it's like Calais, it's not because he's a cool guy, nice guy, uh, fun voice, and a good player is why they wrapped their arms around him. Wrapped their arms around him because he had success out there. Mm-hmm. And he was, had success with guys like Larry Fitzgerald, right? And uh, they had gone to the Super Bowl. No, to the NFC Championship. Uh, the Cardinals? Did they go to the Super Bowl with? They played Pittsburgh. They played in the Super Bowl. With yes. Calais, though? Oh, no, I think he went to the NFC Championship. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know, because I went to against Pittsburgh, but that was before Calais. Yeah. So, but it's the same reason like Malik Jackson. Mm-hmm. They re- re- He had a ring. Mm-hmm. They respected that. Well, the Nick Foles, they respect the ring, and they know the resume. Uh, you know, I'd had the conversation with Brandon Linder the other day, and, you know, what the topic came up. He said, he won a ring. Super Bowl MVP. Enough mm-hmm. said. It was as simple as that. Yeah. So it is. It's interesting how respected they are from what they've done, mm-hmm. um, and each guy, and, and when you carry some weight. And that's another thing, by the way. Haven't had a ton of those guys around here. Haven't had a ton of those guys that have won a lot, won big. Uh, Malik, more and more are coming around. Malik, yep. Calais, Lorente McRae, who's a captain on the special team side, Foles now. So uh, it does pay and, and pay off, I think, to have some of those guys with all the success. All right, Michael Thomas. Bagman. Is he this isn't really a full conversation about Michael Thomas and more relates to Yannick Ngakwe, but you fantasy football lovers Bring it. You love Michael Thomas. Just Michael Thomas's resume keeps getting better and better. If you're the is, Saints, you love Michael Thomas as well. Is it fair to ask though? Is it fair to ask, is Michael Thomas this good or is Drew Brees helping him make 
I mean, not helping him, but making him this good. Is, well, is, is, is he worth $20 mil a year? Okay, this works both ways. Yes, Drew Brees is a first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback. I think anybody that plays with him is immediately a better player because of Drew Brees. But, and go ahead and drop this down if you want to, I think Michael Thomas is the most valuable wide receiver to his team in the entire NFL. If you take away Michael Thomas for the, that, that Saints offense, what do you have left? Do you know who led this, the team? And well, obviously Michael Thomas led the team in receptions. He led the whole league in receptions, 125. You know a second? I think a- Alan Alvin Kamara, Kamara, like 39. Uh, he had 81 receptions. Oh, he had that many. Do you know who was, who was third? Oh, it was the receiver that yeah. had like 30 something or something, right? Traquan Smith was third with 28 receptions. Okay, 28. Traquan Smith, 28 receptions, and then Benjamin Watson, who's you know up there in age, had uh, he had 35 receptions. So there you go. So from a receiver standpoint. That's the next best was twenty eight. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying from a receiver position. From a receiver position, the next best was twenty eight. Yeah, that's very valuable. Yeah, I mean you're talking about a team last year who was trying to acquire the services of Des Bryant to try to turn things around at the two spot because they had injuries and guys that are unproven. So yes, Traquan Smith could be the future um, on the Saints. I think they just gave him a new contract. But right now, the way they look on paper, they had to pay Michael Thomas because they need Michael Thomas. Okay, so you guys just bring up a good point, right? So Michael Thomas, best receiver by far on his team. The best. most important receiver to his team. And, yeah, but I'm saying better than Tony. Yeah, yeah. By, no, I'm saying on his team. Yes. There's not even a close second. Not even close. I mean, he's like he's the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Kevin Byard, Tennessee just got the big deal, mm-hmm. record setting, reset the market at the safety position. Best safety on his team. Yeah. Right. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think we could argue whether he's best player on their defense, all that kind of yeah. stuff. Is it fair to make the argument then? Again, I'm talking both sides of this thing. I'm not taking sides here, people. I'm talking both sides of this. In this Yannick Ngakwe deal, where I tweeted this morning, I said, hey, this Michael Thomas and Bayard thing helps the Yannick Ngakwe situation because I don't think they're the top three, top four receivers in the game. Hmm. Top three, top four safety in the game. Yeah, I don't think they are, but they just reset the market. So if the argument is Yannick Ngakwe is not a top three guy, there's Von Miller, there's, you know, well, doesn't matter because these guys just reset the market. Mm. They're showing the value to the team. Now, the knock I think you could make against Ngakwe, can you say he's not even the best pass rusher on their team? You take class? Well, the numbers show that. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the last two years, he has 25 sacks. Mm-hmm. So, and and I'm, I'm not saying Yannick's is far off, but I don't have to tell you what else Calais has done either. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not even talking defensive players, but I'm talking at their position. Where you're trying to argue, Michael Thomas, hands down, best guy. Byard, best guy, hands down. Reset the market, pay our guys. Similar situations, by the way. See, I think these situations are almost better than Demarcus Lawrence and Frank Clark because they're 2016 guys that weren't first round picks. They're hmm. second and third round picks. So they more fit what is happening here in Jacksonville, paying your guy early, resetting the market. But does the team have an argument in this, where's the money fall to say, He's very good. We love him. But he's not even our best one. I mean, I think that's, I think that's a fair uh, argument to consider from the team side. But I think, um, I mean, you look at it, I mean, I don't think we're necessarily splitting hairs, but he is undoubtedly one of the best pass rushers on the team. Now, look, of course, we don't know what we're going to get. Well, he's of, the second best one on the team, absolutely. Well, yeah, and, and of course, we don't know what we're going to get out of, of Josh Allen. You know, I mean, we expect, you know, to get a, you a know, top. You know how I feel about this. Don't even use Josh Allen in the in the, in yeah. the in negotiations. Right, Because right. you want the multiple pass rushers. Right, I agree. 
I mean, you can use them as like your six of diamonds card is what I say. But don't mm -hmm. use them as a trump card in the negotiations. Yeah. Because you want multiple pass rushers. Mm -hmm. And you don't know if you're going to have Calais next year. So you want Yannick Ngakwe and Josh Allen for the next three, four, five years. See, that, and that's honestly one of kind of – and you, may, you brought up a good point with uh, with Byron and Michael Thomas. I think that we get so wrapped up in – uh, like wanting to be paid as the you know the top five in the league. I I, fe I feel like uh, from a player standpoint, obviously they're looking at it from you know, the money. Like, hey, this guy's getting you no know, money over here. But I think from a team standpoint, I think that's the way they look at it. Like they don't look at it as, oh, you know, hey, Michael Thomas got this much money. We need to make you need to make more money than him. Um, I think it, it's it's very much isolated within the actual team. It's like, hey, look, I, at some point you have to weigh your apples and oranges. Like, hey, if we don't have this guy. How much worse are we? Like, like you said, the Saints don't have Michael Thomas. Um, I mean, Drew Brees will find something, but he's not throwing to anybody else, you know, over a hundred times. If, if we don't have Ngakwe, do we have another option to get that production that he brings? As I continue to think around this story before we go to break in happy hour horn, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. If Michael Thomas is, uh, give me a receiver that might get like a hundred catches. Um, Antonio Brown. Okay. So Antonio Brown. Yeah, Antonio Brown mm -hmm. and Michael Thomas are playing on the same team. Mm -hmm. And Michael Thomas had 95 catches. Fantastic year. Last two years, rising, rising, rising. Does he get a five-year, $100 million deal? Do you know how to respond to that? I don't – so it's catches. Who cares how many touchdowns did he have? Because we were talking about the pass rush position. You don't, you're not concerned about how many tackles they had, really. It's all about the sacks. Okay. And the sacks equal the touchdowns, I mean, in my opinion. Well, but my point in that is Michael Thomas had a ton of leverage because yeah. if you play without me, you suck. No, very true. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I mean if the Jags play without Yannick Ngakwe, although I've agreed with you all along that mm -hmm. the Jags will pay for that because they're better with Yannick Ngakwe on the field. But they do have Josh Allen. And, again, I said I wasn't going to use Josh Allen in the negotiation. But they yeah. do have Calais Campbell. Mm -hmm. They have arguably a better guy. So my point is, if Michael Thomas sat out a little bit, well, they still have Antonio Brown. They I mean, do, but... I know, and I know they don't. It's a hypothetical see, people, but... But to be fair, Clayus Campbell is not in Yannick Ngakwe's position. It would be like comparing a wide receiver to a tight end. They, they play two completely well, different... I mean, that's true. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I get it. I get it. He's not an edge guy. Rushing the pass is rushing the passer, and sacks can equate to touchdowns, but then it's like comparing Travis Kelsey to Michael Thomas. Yeah, I hear you. So, so you're saying you really need to actually compare Josh Allen, yeah, who has a blank resume, yeah, to Yannick yeah, Ngakwe. Exactly. I would, I would say that, that would be my closer comparison. Okay, that's fair enough. I but can't. I mean, at the end of the day, let's be honest: the, the more pass rushers, the, the merrier. Well, and that's, and that's what I said. <laughs> Somebody said that thing. today. Somebody said that to me on Twitter when I re I tweeted that out about Michael Thomas and Bayard, and they said, "Well." Thomas is closer to being a top receiver in the game than Yannick Ngakwe is to being the best pass rusher in the game. That's and fair. I said, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I would agree with that, but it doesn't really matter. At all. No. I mean, it's like I said, it's like I said earlier, <laughs> nope. it's about, you know, on, it's not necessarily, you know, being the best in the league. It's about being the best on your team. It doesn't really matter. And here's why, because teams have proven that if you, that you can win without a, an elite receiver. Sure. Go find me teams that that have won without a pass rush. I mean, the Saints have been doing it for years. Before they had a decent defense, they were putting uh, up 50 they, and 60 points they, and they, allowing 40. They still have Cam Jordan, though, rushing the passer, man. He's a pretty good defensive end. Well, I mean, now New Orleans' defense is, is a little bit better than they've been in the past. I mean, look at Atlanta for the longest time. They've had zero defense. They just had Matt Ryan and, and, and high-powered offense to outscore yeah. people. 
Well, I know the year they went to the Super Bowl, they did. Their defense That's was true. really good. John That's Abraham. my point. So you're not going to win. Yeah. You have a better chance of winning with an elite not. without an elite receiver than you do without an elite pass rusher. I think, especially if you have a guy like Drew Brees. Right. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of going in circles. But yeah. I do think one of the I feel like the Michael Thomas and the Bayard stuff is actually a bit more relative to the Anik deal than even the Clark and. Uh, the Marcus Lawrence situation because they were in different levels of their deal. Those mm-hmm. are 2016 guys. That's an important part of this. They were ripping up the Michael Thomas deal. They ripped up the buyer deal in Tennessee to say, hey, here's a new deal. Here's a reset of the market. That's what Yannick Ngakwe is asking to do, and the Jaguars right now are unwilling to make him at least near the highest paid guy in the NFL, it appears. And that's why things have hit a snag, although I understand their side of the argument for Yannick Ngakwe. Mm-hmm. But it looks like the Jags are unwilling to do that, to make him Demarcus Lawrence, Frank Clark kind of uh, paid. Hey, happy hour, Horn. We've got to get to it. Um, I'm, uh, we might as well now. Sorry, took a little bit. But uh, hope you're having a good Wednesday, Vita DeLouis. Always uh, ready for the happy hour, happy hour Horn. Marcel, you want to do it or should I? Take the reins, sir. Well, Marcel grab would dr- do it, but he doesn't have his selfie camera ready. Oh, yeah, my bad. I mean, put you on the spot. Grab a drink, get a shot, dip your star tenders. Although he does have a good lid on. Vita DeLuis recently got a 94 rating. It's that good. A locally owned tequila right here in Jacksonville, made in Tequila, Mexico, shipped directly to Jack's Beach. For locations, recipes, and merchandise, visit VitaDeLuis.com. Drink responsibly. We're coming back on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. I catch up with Keelan Cole. What he has to say. About a foot race between Quincy Williams and D.D. Westbrook, plus the latest on Nick Foles in the passing game, coming from number 84 next. All right, welcome back here. Keelan Cole interview on the way. Uh, just a reminder or a refresher to reset things a little bit. Still no deal for Yannick Ngakwe, day eight of the holdout. thought the Jags looked pretty good on offense today. Uh, Nick Foles, especially in the the one two minute drill, man, it was boom, 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 and to five different guys: Leonard Fournette, O'Shaughnessy, Cole Conley. Okay, that's four different guys. I think because he hit Fournette twice, but it was five passes, one on a fourth down, and there were some beautiful passes. I thought it was impressive. Now listen, it wasn't all rosy, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. It was a bad pass to Keelan Cole. I thought Cole should have caught it anyway, but it was not a good pass. There was a fumble by Leonard Fournette. So. Again, you, if you've been listening to the show last week and you know this, I, I'm not giving you blow-by-blow blow and play-by-play play of all the highs and lows of practice. I mean, I, I tell my wife the same thing when she goes to the kids' practices. <laughs> it's like it's practice for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's fun to see some of the plays. Like Chark's play yesterday was really yep. fun. It's cool. You get excited about it. But we know we're smarter than that around here, people. We're smarter than that in Jacksonville. We know late July on a Wednesday practice. We know August practices. We know even preseason games mean absolutely nothing when it rolls around to the regular season. So just remind yourself of that. Don't or I will continue to remind you of that. Not only don't drink the Kool-Aid, Marcel, don't panic when things look ugly at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the year there was not a good vibe here in 2017. Going, It was an awful training camp. Before they went on the run and yeah. had the most successful year they've had in 15 years. Mm-hmm. So 
again, it's just a friendly reminder. It's like a PSA. Yeah. Don't do it. Get ex- Hey, have some fun with it. That's cool. Good play. All that stuff. That's what I'm trying to do. But keep but it in perspective. Perspective. September 8th yeah. is what matters. September 8th is when it matters. And I, I will have uh, maybe like a vibe, maybe a, a feeling about offense, defense, players here and there going into the season. But I ain't going all in on anything that happens in August. I'm just telling you. I'm not doing it. Uh, and I advise you to do the same. Brett Martin, Austin Lane, Action Sports Jacks, Marcel Robinson, Coos here as well. Man, this show is flying by. We had Maurice Jones, Drew on, talking Yannick Ngakwe, talking Fred Taylor. And that's what I wanted to reset a little bit, the Fred Taylor comments about being number two on the all-25 list that Jaguars.com is doing, which makes Tony Baselli. Spoiler alert, Tony Baselli is going to be number one. And I have no problem with Baselli being number one. Fred Taylor didn't. Not necessarily a, a dart at at Tony, mm-hmm. but he certainly didn't like being number two. No, yeah. And uh, there's a bit of competitive nature in there. I don't. I w- I said it earlier. I wouldn't have blinked an eye if Fred was number one. I think you can make the case at the running back position. I think we argued a little bit about it. Can you name another? Um, and this is where, if you're going to make the argument, right, Tony Baselli, most dominant player in franchise history at that at their position. Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, you—that's yeah, hands, that, hands down. Mm-hmm. I, I think. Is there I, another one? I mean, because Fred, as at, great at the as tackle he was, position, Fred, as great as he was, was not the most dominant player. Yeah, right. But right. Back. The, the, uh, no, exactly. I mean, so it depends how you want to characterize this. But what I was saying is, can you name another organization? This organization's been around twenty-five seasons. Can you name another one where their left tackle or their center or their guard are the best player in franchise history? And I think the answer to that's probably no. You brought up Jonathan Ogden, which is a good one because he's got an incredible resume. Oh yeah, I mean, but the then guys I threw at you Ray Lewis, and I threw yeah. at you Ed Reed, and I mean, even in Cleveland, Joe Thomas. I mean, you've had a uh, yeah, they had a guy by the name Jim Brown. Yeah, I was going to say, Brown. I was going to say they don't have their the, in recent real, memory. You know, yeah. people would say Joe Thomas, but well, they that's have fair. Jim Brown. Yeah, in the last twenty-five years, you mm-hmm. might say Joe Brown, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So. I mean, sorry, Joe Brown, Joe Thomas, uh, just combined really two great players. Uh, so anyway, I, I look at this thing as a fun thing. Yeah. Freddie T did not take it as a fun thing. He took it as a slight. And uh, if you want to go back, and I think you're already up there on our Action uh, Sports Jacks YouTube channel, also on uh, Facebook on ESPN 690. Uh, Kuz already put up the interview with Maurice Jones-Drew, and I thought he had interesting thoughts because Mojo talked to Fred last night. So mm-hmm. I think he got a sense this was coming. <laughs> a little frustration on the side of uh, Freddie, too. Freddie T. Again, I have no problem with the frustration. These guys are competitive. What I, I was taken aback by it because everybody else who has said something about the All-25 has been very uh, cordial and receptive and said, hey, thanks, everybody. You know, it, and I was like, whoa, all of a sudden it was Fred. And yeah. we haven't really heard from Fred in a bit. We tried to get in touch with Fred uh, in June when we were going with former players and um, hadn't really been able to get in touch with him. Uh, Fred does had done the preseason stuff, and I think he did some radio things, too, with the Jags uh, the last couple of years. He uh, is not doing that this year, at least on the TV side in the preseason on uh, CBS 47 and Fox 30. So I, I don't know if there's been a little bit of a, a rift. I, I really don't. But I, he did take exception to this as the bottom line. I think it kind of took everybody by surprise uh, a little bit today. And whether he's right or wrong, I think, is debatable. Yeah, it's just it's so hard to because, listen, Tony Baselli is huge for a couple reasons. Number one, he was the first pick of the franchise, right? So 
immediately you have a little advantage there because you know you're I mean you're literally the the, the first draft pick of the franchise and when that happens um you know you kind of have a little mark on your badge so you got that Tony Baselli was part of the all decade team okay and with all due respect to Fred Taylor he was not now how much weight does that hold especially you know, in the 90s when running backs were – there were a lot of good running backs in the 90s, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, you yeah know? a lot and, of competition. Yeah, and there's a reason why I think, you know, Fred wasn't really an all-pro. Um, I don't think he's ever an all-pro just because he was always in competition with everybody because there were yeah, guys like Jamal Lewis. I think Ricky Waters might have been in that group back in the day. So you have guys from that position where, yeah, they may have been better, better than him per year, per year, per year. But overall, I mean, you talk about a guy who's rushed for over 11,000 yards in his career, and this is the problem. You have stats to go off by Fred Taylor. You can say, look, at this guy rushed for over 11,000 yards in his career. He had he had 80 touchdowns in his career. Um, he averaged how many? Uh, 4.6 yards a carry in his career. And let me interrupt you, you real quick. Numbers. That's yeah. the amazing number one, Fred. If you want to argue for Fred, and I think everybody should in, in a lot of different ways, that's the number. That's a number that resonates with Jim Brown, with Barry Sanders. That's a number that actually ticked down a notch, I think, because of his last year or two in the NFL when he was mm-hmm. just kind of hanging on with the Patriots, mm-hmm. remember? Uh that is a number. That yards per carry was, I think, at, at one time right next to Jim Brown. I don't know if Barry Sanders is up there, too. I thought that was the other guy. But that's the number. Sorry to interrupt. No, you're all good. I mean, that's a great point. Then we have Tony Baselli. I mean, you play the offensive tackle position. We don't really have stats to go off of. No one's keeping track of well, how many pancakes did Tony Baselli have. You know, like how, how many knockdowns did Tony Baselli have. How, how many times did he drive the guy back 10 yards. I mean, you just you have no stats in terms of offensive linemen. So I can see the point where it's hard to give an offensive lineman that distinguishing award because there are no stats to point off of. All you have to go off of as an offensive lineman is how long you played the game, and then you go off by what other players said about you. Because let's be honest, if we're at home watching a game, um, you know, unless you played offensive lineman in high school or in college, I feel like the last thing people are going to watch is the offensive lineman play unless they make a mistake. You know, as soon as there's a sack that's gave up, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, the offensive lineman messed up. But if the offensive lineman's playing good, you usually don't talk about them that much. So from that perspective, it's hard to give out the best award when you don't have the stats to go off of. And I'm not saying that's Tony's fault because he's that's the position that he played. Yeah. It's just the way it is. You can say Tony could, should win it or Fred Taylor could win it. Either debate is, I think, justified. It's just the fact that you don't have numbers to go off of with Tony. I think a lot of people um, knock this. I actually think it's kind of a cool thing for guys like Tony Baselli and like Josh Scobie. They are celebrated at the kicker and left tackle position. Mm-hmm. I don't think there are a lot of players that get celebrated, and probably wrongfully so, mm-hmm. don't get celebrated in a lot of franchises at those kind of positions. Right. And around here, those two guys have been celebrated, and some might argue the critics maybe too much mm-hmm. because of the positions they play. So, um, and, and I'm not because I think it's kind of a cool thing. That, that those guys get recognized for what they did, that, that we understand. Tony Baselli helped people around here understand the left tackle position. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of cool uh, because you're, the stats aren't there mm-hmm. for us to see it and measure it and all those things. Um, hey, by the way, shameless plug, tomorrow on Jaguars All Access at Mellow Mushroom on Fox 30 at 7 o'clock, we'll have Tony Baselli on. Oh. Now, I haven't planned for Fred Taylor to call in yet. Oh, you have to. <laughs> Okay, yes, we'll try. <laughs> Something tells me that 
he might not be up there. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be interesting to see what uh, Tony has to say about it. But tomorrow night, come on out to Mellow Mushroom, uh, 7 o'clock, uh, Jaguars All Access. Uh, first one out at Mellow in Avondale. And, uh, again, new day. And it's going to be Thursdays during the season. Hope you can come out tomorrow and have some fun. All right, Keelan Cole. Caught up with him today. Jaguars wide receiver. I think it's a big year for Keelan Cole. Everybody talking about Conley and Chark and Didi. Marquise Lee when he comes back. There's always a receiver, maybe like this Tyree Brady, that kind of catches the eye of people and says, ah, he might be a next best thing. Maybe goes on the practice squad. Maybe even makes the team. A la Keelan Cole. Keelan Cole came out of nowhere has had his highs, has had his lows, caught up with uh, the receiver this afternoon after practice. All right, let's get this thing started uh, in, a, in a contentious kind of way because yesterday Doug Marone said Quincy Williams might be the fastest guy on the field. Didi Westbrook took exception. So he's in your room. Didi versus Quincy right here. Didi. Who are you taking? Didi. First, the first second of the race. <laughs> No doubter. No doubt. Didi. If I could, if I knew anything below, was it millisecond? The first millisecond, Didi's winning. <laughs> on the way, all the way through. It's over. All the way through. All right. Quincy's pretty fast, though. He's quick. He ain't fast. Okay. All right. He okay. He's quicker than Didi. He's not faster than Didi. All right. All right. That's a little, little. Even though he might not be quicker than Didi either, because <laughs> Didi quick. If anything, Didi quick. I was going to say, it's almost a little concession. Let's say Oh, well, I mean, let's think about it. Linebacker. You know what I'm saying? You have to at least be laterally quick. You know what I'm saying? And then that's what he's a smaller back. I mean, backer. So, of course, he'd be quicker. I got to give him something. He can't be faster and quicker. He got to be faster or quicker. So, we're going to give him quicker and we're going to get DD faster. That makes a lot of sense. All right. right, Let's talk about speed again, but in terms of picking up this offense, Mm -hmm. how comfortable are you with it with Coach uh, Flips off? Oh, it's good. Um, I like it. It's very open. So, I mean, learning it is just about repping it. So the more you rep it, the more you understand, the more you write your notes, the more you listen, the more you understand what he wants from you. So it makes it easier on, I mean, people like me who do those things and, and trying to get um, not just the, the X's and O's, but trying to figure out the, the philosophy behind it. My perception of uh, offenses of different coordinators are, are some would be more fun to play in than others. Is is that accurate or is it just football? Uh, I mean, it's just it's just different coaches approach things differently. You know, uh, some some coaches like to have fun with their plays. Some coaches like to have fun to to introduce the plays because it's easier to learn in different ways. So it's really based off, I guess, however the coaches learned it easier, and then they try to present it to us and give us different options to learn it. The guy that knows it probably better than most is Nick Foles. He's For been sure. around flip before, at least knows his tendencies. Uh, how much has that helped you guys? Because he can almost teach yeah. it to you, and he's ahead of everybody, it seems. Well, I mean, yeah, he, he's, I mean, this is his playbook anyway. I mean, he, he has to be out there. He has to do it regardless of what the coaches say. Uh, any, th- any situation can pop up, and that's what I feel like he's good with helping us with, uh, helping us with situational football, and in certain situations, you know what I'm saying, coach might not have called to play, and you know what I'm saying, he said, all right, you know what I'm saying? He'll give you a signal, and that's that's something new for us. I mean, getting signals mid-play and with three seconds left on the clock and stuff like that. So it's good. It's good. Like I said, it's an open playbook, and we're, we we working into it, and we're just trying to find our way. This guy's been around the block a bit. Uh, obviously, has a nice resume. What impresses you about him? I mean, there are times you go back to the huddle and be like, ooh, that was, that was pretty good. That yeah. felt a little different. Well, it's the leadership, just because you know you don't have to do that. You don't have to go back into the huddle and say nothing. If, if it needs to be said, he'll say it, and uh, I'm sure he'll catch eyes, like, if you miss a ball or something like that, he'll for sure come and find you and make sure that's corrected mentally, right? Because you know you can't really get those reps back, so he'll for sure make sure it's, it's right, ready to go. In your career, you've been a, uh, I don't know how high and low the roller coaster's on, but it's naturally part of the game, a little bit of a roller coaster. How big of a year? 
do you think this is for you? Uh, big of a year as it was last year and the year before. Uh, every year is a big year. Every year is great when you start zero zero. Um, it's fresh. I mean, fresh. You know what I'm saying? Fresh slate and everybody's on the same level. So you just got to show your separation from the beginning and keep rising. You have maintained that. You kind of stay even keel, uh, which is good personality probably to have and a good mentality to have. Did you do anything different uh, this offseason in your approach to coming in? Uh, just did a little more. Um, you can't kill yourself. You can't work yourself too hard. But you can always uh, make make your own schedule, keep keep a routine. And, and, I mean, obviously last year wasn't enough, so just keep adding more on to it until you figure it out. Once you figure it out, just add a little bit more so you're not killing yourself and you should be where you need to be. But you're still figuring out the answers, and you just got to keep going. Lender did, picked up Pilates. Hayden picked up golf. I mean, so, you they know, there might be that. some things that you got to develop along the way. Uh, well, I did, I did uh, start uh, doing um, – I don't know what I did. I don't know. I guess I'll just start watching teammates or something. Huh? Since they doing all of the good stuff, I guess I need to find a teammate that's doing some new stuff. But, I mean, I don't know. I, tr- I trust the, uh, the system here. So, everything should be good once you walk in. You uh, Last one for you. you. You have been such a nice story, you know, from where you came from to where you've been and some of your high moments here on, on this field. Um, have you have you kind of uh, reached a point where you feel like a veteran? You know, you feel like you've been around. You get, these experiences will help you on good days, on bad days, on good plays, on not so good plays. Yeah, but it's more about it's not really about my experience helping me. It's more about my experience helping you know what I'm saying teammates behind me. I can't learn too much from me that I already don't know. So it's really about helping my experience teach others and and learn from them from my experience. If that makes any sense, uh, I've talked to the rookies and some. Uh, stuff sometimes, you know, just give them a little piece of what I went through, a little piece of what we went through our rookie year. And watching them deal with our experience is is obviously going to be a different outcome, so you can learn from stuff like that. Well, that's Keelan Cole conversation uh, with the Jags wide receiver, and you know he 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 is he is an even keel guy. Um, he's got it in his name actually, Keel Keelan. Uh, but give it to you. I that was like very Stewart esque, <laughs> um, <laughs> but that was bad. Uh, but I do think this is a big year for him. Yeah, yeah I think this is a big because I, 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 I'm. Where is he? He's had he's ridden the roller coaster a little bit, and um, I'd, I'd like to see him come out on the other side and really make big plays. Man, that catch he made against New England last year—that'll be a play that sticks out for a very long time in my career um, of covering it. That was an awesome play. He's gonna have to earn his reps though, because this is a very deep, deep wide receiver group this year. Yeah, getting you know? on the field so could it, be a challenge. If he gets on the field, he's gonna earn it. Hey, one last thing on him—we talked to him after. He's made four trips to Italy in the last couple of years. Went there this offseason. I guess he's got a buddy that plays football over there. I okay. know they played football in Italy. Yeah, I have a friend that plays football in Germany. And they travel to yeah, Italy sometimes. Germany, to play. I figured, yeah. but I didn't know Italy. Italy. They did. Yeah, and he hangs out with the football team over there. Cool. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. And, uh, well, he doesn't gain a lot of weight because he weighs like 160 or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what he weighs, but... All right, when we come back, we put a bow on the show. Some final thoughts on, well, everything that's happened today next. Well, we made it almost throughout the entire show without talking about cats, so that's good. Plenty of Jags talk. I'm apparently going to my second job at the Cheesecake Factory to bounce tonight. Yep. Fred Taylor's pissed off about being second and not first. Yep. I like the competitive spirit. Yep. Yannick Ngakwe still doesn't have a deal done. Nope. And I still sit on my 90% from yesterday. Well, we haven't gone over his tweet yet either, by the way. Oh, shoot. Coos music. Coos. We need the music, man. Better music or alternative music on the Yannick front. I'm glad you brought this up. There it is. Today's show is flying by. Yes. 
So some people say in the car right now, it's like, it can't end soon enough. <laughs> I'm sure they would be still listening to us if that was the case. <laughs> ah, some people like it. Is this Anya? All right, so today's tweets from Yannick Ngakwe. Early this morning, I actually retweeted this one because I saw it at the time. And I thought it was um, good timing by Yannick. Yes. Ian Rapp. Saints and Michael Thomas, five-year, $100 million extension, $61 million in guarantees. Mm. Yannick Ngakwe, quote, tweets it, well-deserved. There it is. The only thing I would like to argue, I don't like the word deserved. I like the word earned. Yes, Yannick because you say, don't well deserve earned. anything. You earned everything. You I like sure that. as hell don't deserve $100 million. I respect you, Brent. I respect that. I earned like that. It. Yep, earned All right. it. I like that. Uh, and then, three hours ago, Come Yannick on. Ngakwe. Give us something good here, Brent. Goes to the poker table, I guess. Okay. Because he says, double up. Ah. What does that mean? Uh, it's a Nipsey Hustle song. If that makes it any better, oh, is it's, it? it's a it's a it's a rap song. It's a hip hop song. Maybe he's listening to some hip hop music. Now or I gotta maybe, go. You know what I feel yeah, like? I know. You know, last week I went to the escape room. Oh, how was that? Yeah. I want to do that. Oh, you've never done it? No, oh, I'm terrible at it. Like we, but we didn't get out. Is, is there a lot of math involved? Nah, not really. Okay, then I'm I mean, in. It's just, I mean, it's problem solving. I, I gotta oh, believe I'm in that in. escape room stuff. Some people are really good at. It. Sure. And then others like me, not so good. So like problem solving, <laughs> detective work, whatever yeah, it is, yeah. I, it just doesn't equate. Yeah. But I kind of feel like I'm in the escape room with Yannick Ngakwe. Like, and now you've got me, I'm going to, tonight I'm going to go to the lyrics of a Nipsey Hussle song. <laughs> Double up. <laughs> yep. And, and, and where does that take me? <laughs> I'm going to be honest, probably places you don't want to go to, Brent. Uh, and one could argue once you read the lyrics that he's talking directly towards you, that's all I'm going to say. Again? To talking to the haters out there. Yeah. Gosh, I, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do, don't do that. Talking to the haters. No, I, did, I am not a Yannick Ngakwe hater. But, that, you're labeling me. If, well, okay, you're not a, I'm not saying that, but you're not necessarily on the side of the players all the time, Brent. No, I try to give both sides of the story. I try yeah. to present well, the other. Because you what, are on like the side that. of the players. I know, man. I know. I'm just trying to speak from a player's perspective. If, well, it, if you're not with us, you're against us. Simple <laughs> as that. <laughs> all right. What do you have for staying your life? ready for this. So, there's a video that's circulating. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to play the audio quick, and I want you to tell me what's going on in this video. In this audio, I'm sorry. Kuz, hit me with it. Roque Santa Cruz, que Santa Cruz, que tiene 162 años. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it's got, it's got to do with soccer. It's got to do with a fan of soccer. I thought I picked up, like, 60... Did you see this? Like, no, no. Okay. But I, the, I was trying to go with... There was a number in there. <laughs> might have might have been. It was like... 60 or 61 or something. I don't know what okay. it was. Okay. Well, what's happening is is that there's a soccer game being broadcasted, and during a goal, uh, the video cuts to the crowd, and in the crowd you see the fan do the most aggressive thing that you could do after your soccer team scores a goal. Care to guess what that is, Brent? Most aggressive thing after the your soccer team? The most aggressive celebration I've ever seen. Um... Did he did he brandy Chastain, but with his tr- dr- way trunks? more aggressive? No, I'm, I'm saying a fan in the crowd did something aggressive. Oh, the fan to in the crowd, not the yes. player. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I have no idea. So this fan proceeds to take out a credit card. Nothing illegal about that, and then proceeds to pour out the biggest line of devil's baking soda, aka cocaine, that you've ever seen, and proceed to snort on live television. Really? That's what's happening in that video. Yeah. Where was uh, 
And, and how is this cruise control? Uh, it's more pump your brakes, but... <laughs> <laughs> It was the most aggressive celebration of all time. So, Wait, the next time Bachman comes in on a news story now, <laughs> this just opened up the door well, for something else. I had to add to the mix, yeah. But, um, but so, where is this? It didn't say. <laughs> it's literally just a video that it's been circulating Twitter. Um, I think it was probably in Colombia or something like that. And, uh, yeah, literally uh, a goal gets scored, and they, they pan to the crowd like they always do, and here's a, a guy front and center for everybody just pouring out some stuff and sorting it. Is it illegal there? I don't think it's illegal anywhere, man. I, I, I think I think it's illegal. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, cruise control, though, just for, hey, I don't know, just, just being you and celebrating, having a good time. I don't know. I'm trying to save grace here, and I can't do it. Yeah. Can we go to a pump your brakes. Pump your, two pump your brakes segments today. All right, back today. to back, pump your brakes, man. There's a lot of traffic out there, Brent. Heads up. Uh, Brent, this is going to seem like deja vu coming up here. Uh, I like my QBs to do a couple things, Brent. I like them to be leaders. I like them to be hard workers. And most importantly, Brent, I like my quarterbacks to be what? I asked this question yesterday. Uh, yeah, winners. Thank you very much. I said accurate. Yeah. You said winners. Yeah. But you know, you know what I don't need a quarterback to be is overly nice. Because you know why? Where do nice guys finish, Brent? Last. That is correct. Uh, they finished last in the AFC division. At Bill's camp, a kid rocking a Miami Dolphins jersey and hat asked Josh Allen, quarterback for the Bills, for an autograph. Instead of berating the kid and saying absolutely not, Josh Allen proceeded to get someone to fetch him uh, a Bills jersey so he could sign it for the Dolphins fan and then proceeded to say the quote, I appreciate it, man, and let the kid walk his separate ways. Uh, hey, Josh Allen, this is a Bills fan and a division rival. How are you going to let an enemy come into your house? set up shop, disrespect you by wearing the wrong colors, and then proceed to send him out with parting gifts. You know what? I haven't used this word at all describing NFL players, Brent, but I'm going to use it today. Soft. That's a soft move by Josh Allen, and I'm glad the Jacksonville Jaguars have the upgraded one. Well, let me ask you this. Are you going to call out Nick Foles Mm -hmm. when he signs for people in Eagles jerseys? Nope, because the Eagles are not a division rival. Okay, so that's the characterization. That is the Good characterization. Thing you're off the hook. Because uh, the other what. day in our video, there was a lady with a Flyers jersey on and holding like an oh, Eagles jersey. Cool. Yeah, you know, I get it. He used to play there. It's all good. The uh, Josh Allen has no ties to Miami, Brent. No. So there you go. I I think uh, I think quarterbacks used to be uh, jerks, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. More like the good, great ones. I, I've actually argued that point before, where I think you have to have a sense of, um, like, such a sense of arrogance, confidence, brashness, pissiness, sure. all those things to yeah. play that position and be great. Yeah. And the reason I kind of say that, I think, is because the guy that I loved growing up was Dan Marino. Of course. And I'd always heard stories. He was not really like. Like he can be not yeah. the greatest guy. He was cool to me when I met him. I've met him a few times, and he's been great every time yeah. I met him. But I had heard stories about it, and probably during his playing career, mm-hmm. right? He, I mean, you could see it. You could see it on the field sometimes. Yeah. But then there's, like, other guys that come across, like, I mean, think about Brady right now. I don't really label him that way, mm-hmm. although he might have that side to him. I mean, we just, what we see, I don't label him. Peyton Manning, you don't really label him that way, although I have heard stories here and there. Uh, heck, even going back to when Marino played, like Joe Montana. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I, I guess I always kind of think there's a part of me that thinks two things about uh, the elite, elite athlete. One that you have to have a little bit of 
jerk in you. Sure. And two, that you probably shouldn't get married <laughs> while you play. Yeah. That's my two Why things. Why do you say that? I always say it. Okay. I just think you have to, if you want to be elite and unbelievable, you have to have a level of selfishness that is off the charts. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, that's I've long said uh, the reason one of the reasons of Tiger Woods downfall is that he wanted to get married and have a family. Sure. He yeah, I got he, you. he lost a, a sense of selfishness mm-hmm. that if you want to be the best to ever do it, mm-hmm. you have to be that self. I'm not like endorsing being that guy. No, for sure. But I'm saying if you want to be that guy, if that's what you're chasing. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't have time for the kids and the wife and the family and all that stuff. You don't. Yeah. Well, speaking of having time for the kids and like wife, congratulations on 20 years for your anniversary, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. That's You're today. Welcome. And see, I don't, I don't have, I don't, I don't have time for that because uh, I don't even know where they are today. I try to set you up so nicely too, but whatever, man. I was thinking this: after 20 years of marriage, do you need to get new silverware? How long Absolutely is silverware not. supposed to last? Infinite, right? And I'm not talking like China. I'm talking about the stuff you use every day. Yeah, if it's. If it, it serves its purpose, it's good to go. You don't need new silverware. Is that yeah. what the big topic is now? No, I don't know. I was just oh. curious. Cause I got a fork out the other day. Oh. And it looked yeah. a little dirty. And I think you're good. Worn out. Maybe just invest in some new dishwasher soap. <laughs> right. Hey, uh, Jags Wired tonight on Fox 30 at 730. And first and 10 tonight, 1115 on CBS 47 and Fox 30. Thanks for hanging with us here on a Wednesday. We'll see you again tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.